This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. Well, will you look at that? Just in the nick of time we get here. It's the opening kickoff. I like the way you use Nick. Very Thank good. You. <laughs> yeah, I like that, Nick. <laughs> the reference, very good. Hey, yeah, Nick. You're, you're up plus one today. What up? Hey guys, I got here so early and I was waiting on y'all. I just went home and ate some breakfast. Sure you back. did. Yeah. yeah. You had your mayo and coffee. Yeah, I can understand. With a side of shack balls. They actually discontinued those. Oh, because you were the only one buying them. <laughs> I think so. I guess I wasn't getting enough of them. Yeah. Hey, uh, welcome back in. Another edition of the opening kickoff. Uh, we're here, all of us, I think, for three hours right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. Got another good one lined up for you. So without further ado, the one, the only, Lee Shervaney. Thank you very much, Mr. Heim. Um, very rare for what I did yesterday the, the Ranger hockey fan that I am, Game 7, New Jersey, for me to pull away and go to the Sixers-Celtics Game 1, especially the end of that game. You know, for all the grief we, we give Nick, kid around about the NBA and all the issues they had, load management, uh, ridiculous scores and all that, they have really lucked out in this second round. Tonight, we got Lakers. And Golden State. You got LeBron Curry. You got a ratings grabber there. And I'm not even mentioning the Knicks and Heat. Obviously, with the Knicks involved, that's a ratings grabber. But there's no overlooking the Celtics Sixers. uh, Say what you want about the Celtics Lakers rivalry, which has been projected as the the best in the NBA. But the Sixers Celtics, at least in my opinion, doesn't take much of a back seat. I go back to the days of Chamberlain Russell. I go back to the days of Bird and McHale and Parrish versus the McGinnis Irving and the Moses Malone teams and all that. But last night's game was a classic uh, in this sense. So the Celtics, Mark, you know how I sometimes read these ridiculous uh, stats or listen to this one. Teams that shoot over 55% and commit 10 or less fouls were 23-0 in the history of the NBA, and now they're 23-1. The Celtics actually lost to the Sixers at home. The Sixers were without Joel Embiid. They didn't even have a center in the lineup. And James Harden, conjuring up memories of yesteryear, 45 points. This was a classic, uh, and the Sixers take a one-game-to-none lead in a game that many felt they had no business winning without Embiid on the court. It was really a great finish. And Harden, I'll give you one other stat, and then I'll throw it to you. Harden, in situations with 24 seconds or less in a game, in postseason, his shooting for either the tying basket or the game-winning was one for 12 until last night, and then he got that three-pointer with eight seconds to go. Incredible stuff. Well, I mean, you know, when when Embiid's not on the floor, there's there's more room for Harden to operate, right? Isn't that kind of what he alluded to out there after the game? But, yeah, so the 55%, it's great to shoot over 55%, unless, of course, maybe you don't have enough shots. 
they were enough points. They hit 17 of their first 20 field goals, the Celtics did. And at the halftime, with all the great shooting they did, they were only leading by three. The Sixers just wouldn't go away. And and they only play eight players. Tucker, no player played less than 30, no starter played less than 37 minutes. And Tucker, he didn't even take a shot in his 38 or 39 minutes. It was basically, I'm not going to say it was a total one-man show, but it was pretty close. So what was more impressive, other than the fact that 50 is higher than 45, what was the more impressive performance? Curry with 50 in a game seven or Harden with the 45, but without a star player on the floor in yeah. the game winner? Yeah, well, that's a good point. Against um, Boston, a great defensive team. <laughs> I think we know where uh, Nick's suggesting. Uh, well, their turnovers really killed them. They had like 16. Sixers wound up with like 32 second-chance points in the game. And the, the one killer, I hope we get that audio. I put that on there, Nick, was when the shot clock was expiring. Celtics had the ball. Forget how many seconds were to go. It was under 20. Brogdon throws it right to Maxi of the 76ers, who goes in for the uh, go-ahead basket. Uh, and then, of course, I think the Celtics took the lead on free throws. And then uh, the Harden three-pointer was the dagger. But, uh, I mean, I haven't seen a pass like that to an opponent like yeah. the Freddie Brown. Remember the Freddie Brown-Georgetown uh, North Carolina game, was it? The uh, championship game where he just threw it to the, the opponent. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. We actually, I was actually watching the game at that point, and we were all sitting around the TV or whatever, and they were like, he stole the ball. Like, he didn't steal the ball. He, like, threw it to him. What are we talking about? It, 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 it was easy as stealing dunk. You know, if you watched most of the game, you'd hear references to past Boston and 76er games. And, of course, the famous call by Johnny Mose, Havlicek stole the ball, Havlicek stole the ball, and that's what it reminded me of also. But, I mean, it was right to him. Yeah. I, it was only, yeah, the only right. difference was Havlicek actually stole the ball. Yeah. In this case, the pass went right to him. And I don't know, if, did they give Brockton an assist on that? Uh, they should have. Really? They should have. Should have. He was their best player at that point. So, like I said, kudos to the NBA. They couldn't have worked this out any better. And, and, the, and, the, and the people, uh, the ones that are really – I guess totally overshadows that Phoenix-Denver series. Like, oh, are they playing too? What do you think? So you're thinking Harden, Harden's performance better than Curry's there, uh, Nicholas? Yeah, man, because everyone counted him out. I, I could play all type of clips of people saying that Harden's washed, that this is going to be an easy win for Boston tonight. Harden isn't washed, people. He just lets Embiid shine. And so when Bede wasn't there, Harden knew that it was his show, and he was the star. So basically what you're saying, Harden, unselfish player. Oh, very unselfish. He led the league in assists. Yeah. I he mean, had six that, assists that yesterday. You can be selfish and lead the league in assists like Luka does, but Harden's not that guy. Here's the question. Why did the Celtics not double-team him, especially at the end? And he even, he even said— he was surprised that he had only one guy to contend with. That was Horford. Because Why were Joe they not? Zula is a rookie head coach, and he doesn't know what he's doing. He looked he looked shell shocked against Quinn Snyder and Atlanta. All those games were really close. We had a lot of comebacks where they'd crumble at the end. And then it's the same thing against Doc Rivers against a much more talented Philadelphia team. And the only advantage they had was on the boards and inside. But once Embiid comes back. 
It's over. All right, but here's the question. Will he be back? He's got that knee injury, and it, the question, the big question mark is, yeah, Harden had a fantastic game, uh, tied a career high in postseason, but can he carry a team through however games it might take? I, we hope this series goes seven, but if MB does not come back, I wonder, can he, you know, with one day's rest, come back and do what he does and although they you know quite frankly you leave boston with one win you're up i mean you you get back to home court but still without Embiid in there i i just i don't know if they can sustain with just eight players and basically one guy shooting i think Embiid will be back by game three that's my prediction bring him home in front of the philly fans I mean, he was really moving around when they won, and he was all excited in his little Balenciaga hoodie, jumping around with everybody afterwards. So, I, I wonder how be able to I get wonder how Embiid feels. He's sitting on the bench, and they win without him. Uh, he seemed like he felt pretty excited. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, we, they don't because obviously he's going to feel like they have a better chance with him. So if they can get one without him, then I think he feels pretty good about the exactly uh, right. about their chances moving forward. I think the championship aspirations are becoming legitimate for Philadelphia. I mean, they got all the pieces. They got P.J. Tucker. Every, if you want to win a championship, you got to have the P.J. Tucker guy on your team. And they have the, they have that guy, P.J. Tucker. Here's the thing I don't like about them, that they really don't have any confidence in their bench. They only played three bench players yesterday. Now, obviously, if Embiid comes back, then you go to four. But basically, they don't go deep at all. They stay with the same five. All five went 37, 38 minutes or more. And I think it was only one player who came off the bench who contributed yesterday. So, again, if it's a long series, I wonder if that will be a telling sign. Isn't that generally, though, human nature, though, with, with teams? As the games get more important, you tend to shorten your bench. You just you tend do. to stay with the guys that you feel like. I mean, and sometimes that backfires, right? Because sometimes it's your depth that gets you to certain certain points in your season. But generally speaking, I think it's just kind of the way it is. You just, it, it, I, I don't know if you even plan it. You're just like, you know who your best guys are, so you just tend to play them more. Yeah, normally the rotation is either eight or nine people. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, get, we'll continue to talk about the NBA. Very bizarre story. And, and I say bizarre because we don't have a whole lot of information here. We don't talk a lot of college baseball, Lee, but there's a story out here surrounding Alabama baseball and gambling. And those are two words you don't necessarily want associated with uh, your university athletic programs. No, Mark, there's actually three stories that have come out, two on Alabama, one on a shooting incident at a college baseball game. We'll set that aside. But you're right. When I saw this, I was like, I haven't shaken. First of all, I, I don't know enough about gambling to decipher how they even came up with this. But here's, here's the, the long and the short of it is the Ohio gambling regulators have instructed the state's licensed sports books to stop betting on any college baseball game involving Alabama. And you, know, you look at this headline, what? You know, like, where did this come from? Apparently, it goes back to Friday's game. LSU was winning 8-1. Alabama came back, made a game of it, and lost 8-6. However, there were reports of what they call suspicious wagering activity directed during the, the game that was going on. And this comes from what they call a, um, 
report from an independent integrity monitor based on out of Vegas that monitors the betting markets. So I don't know that much about it. I, I've never heard of this happening in a college baseball game. To be honest with you, Mark, I know people bet on anything, but I didn't realize to a degree that there'd be that much betting on a baseball game that it would conjure up uh, a, a situation like this. And, you know, again, I don't know enough about wagering, betting, that this would become such a story like this because it's never it's never actually come out before. Yeah, so uh, each state regulates their own betting. Ohio, of all places, is the one that says you're no longer allowed. We're halting it. We're not doing it. We're not betting on Alabama baseball. We, now, what's frustrating about this story is that we don't really have any specifics as to why. Because that's the, that's, the, that's the question, right? That's the only question anybody has. I don't, I don't even care that they've halted. I just want to know why they've halted it. And, and, and there's absolutely no indication in that story, you know, as to why that this is being done. It's, a, it's scary when you think about it, whenever there's something of that suspicious nature. Because your immediate thought is, was somebody on the field doing something in baseball, college baseball? Uh, I don't know. Or... What dictated the betting, especially in the state of Ohio, on a game in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, on yeah. a Friday night, when there's so much stuff going on, professionally speaking? And that's not to take away from what's going on with the professionals, but I'm saying, you know, how much activity could there possibly be in the state of Ohio? And then again, and, until more facts come out, I mean, are, are we looking at something that happened on the field? Or are we looking at something that happened off the field that would change the betting nature of the game? Uh, the only thing I know is Ohio State – Ohio State, I guess because we're in Ohio, said Ohio State. But LSU was favored to win. All right, They were the betting favorite. Uh, Alabama, I think, jumped out to a, 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 lead, a, a pretty good lead on Friday, right? They were down 8-1. to one. Oh, No, no, they rallied. They, rallied. Okay, so LSU was up. 8-1. to one. Alabama rallied, but LSU still won. Now, um, the scheduled starter for Alabama was a scratch an hour before the first pitch, and a reliever started. That's all we know. That's all we know. So whether there was some sort of inside information there, all I know is when you, when you have gambling controversy headlines associated with your athletic program, that's never a good thing. I expect that we'll hear more today on this, but I'm like you guys at this point. Specifically, we need to know why. Why Why have they... For you betters out there, maybe you can help me out because, again, I, I understand odds when they're like, well, they're a 10-point pick or they're a 12-point pick or something like that. I don't, I don't know. In baseball, I see an odd like minus 245. I don't know what it means, okay? I'll be honest with you. I've never bet on games, never will. And I don't know what a line of minus, and that's what the line was for LSU, minus, give or take, minus two, four, five. I don't know how that equates. So if somebody out there can help us out or wants to tap in or call in, fine. be great. Uh, so the minus, so like if you're minus 110, you have to bet 110 to win 100. So uh, meaning because you're the favorite, right? So the the more it's, uh, if you're if it was flipped, then you would get more money for less that you put up because they would be the underdog. Anyway, yep. 
So, so in order to, to win a hundred, if you, if you're minus one ten, you'd have to put up one uh, one ten to win a hundred. Well, that makes sense to me. So you're putting up one ten to win just a hundred. If you, yes, yeah, minus one ten, you put up one ten to win hundred, and then if it's like plus five hundred, if you bet a hundred, you win five hundred. Every that that number is just what you would win or have to bet uh, in accordance to a hundred. Hundred bucks. One hundred dollar bet. So if you're minus two forty five, then you'd uh, you have you'd to bet two hundred forty five. But how does the win okay? That I, would mean that they're like a really big favorite. Yeah. So how does the uh, the game go? Eight one eight six. Why would that be suspicious? That's what I don't get. I mean, baseball games are very much like that, where teams come well, from behind. Well, that's that's what we don't we don't know why the we don't know why we don't know if somebody dropped an unusually large amount. We don't know when. Uh, the code the, there was a pitching change right there within an hour. We don't know if there was a big swing in that hour. Like it could be a, I would think a, a hunt, one of a hundred things would be my guess. I I don't know, so we'll have to continue to watch it. All right, so let's take let's 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 get to our scoreboard because we're running along here. We're gonna talk to Brian Bosarge at six thirty to recap the draft. Travis Ryer will be along. We'll see if he can shed some light on that topic. Uh, we'll have some Chick-fil-A in hour number two. Ross Jackson on the Saints at 7.30. Dan Jennings on the baseball at 8. Orlando Alzagari, I would assume, on the NFL and the Dolphins. And maybe the Heat at 8.30. Here comes your first scoreboard traffic and weather. We didn't talk about it yesterday, but Deion Sanders all up upset, which is interesting because there seem to be so many people upset with him. We'll explain all that coming up here. Stay with us. We're just getting started. It's the opening kickoff right here on the sports station, WNSP. This is Richie Riley, the head men's basketball coach at South Alabama. There's nothing better than listening to WNSP Sports Radio, 105.5 FM. Welcome back in the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee right here on the sports station WNSP in the app between the arrest on the football and basketball teams. And now whatever this is with the baseball team, the cracks are starting to show in the foundation of that crappy little town northeast of Birmingham. The claws are out early. You guys can jump in, 694-1055. Harden, by the way, was 7 out of 14 from the three-point stripe on his way to the 45. And the Sixers shot very well from the three-point line as they take game one. Dr. Christopher Mullenix, along with uh, doctors uh, Wallander and Babston, are ready for you in case you have any emergency needs, oral facial surgery, any uh, appointments they will take at 471-3381. If you have an emergency, something goes wrong in the morning, well, give them a call, and probably they'll get you in before the day's end. They specialize in all kinds of oral and facial surgery, facial trauma, knocked out teeth, wisdom teeth, dental implants, jaw surgery, and more. They're located at 715 Downtown or Boulevard. You do not need a referral. You can use my recommendation. It's not going to get you a cheaper price or anything like that, but it's uh, certainly worthwhile to check them out in case you have any issues with your uh, teeth, mouth, whatever. Uh, okay, we only got a couple minutes, so I'm going to hold off on this Deion Sanders stuff, but I did what did y'all see this Cam Newton story about his kind of morning routine? So when he was with the Patriots, he was getting up at like 4, 4.30 in the morning, but he wouldn't have any caffeine. 
for like four or five, six hours or whatever, right? Which to a lot of us seems completely and totally unreasonable. Except you, Lee, because I know you're a caffeine-free guy. Uh, but imagine going four, five, six hours from the start of your morning into lunch, essentially, where there's no caffeine. Well, now there's a report that now that he's not on an NFL roster, in his, his morning routine includes six shots of espresso. And get this, a cigar. Now, I know we all have some various morning routines, um, and they're not all consistent with one another, but six shots of espresso throughout the course of your morning um, is a serious jolt to the system, was I would think. this what goes on now? Or yes, when he was, now, okay, that he's, now, yeah, now that he's not, not playing? You're not thinking that he's got the cigar to mellow it all out. Maybe so, but if you if you don't have all those shots of espresso, you don't need the cigar. You think he's like holding it like this, like his hands are like shaking, yeah, like crazy. Or maybe he's shaking when he gets up because he needs the caffeine. I don't know, but that's a. So someone did the math. There are 64 milligrams of caffeine in the standard one ounce shot of espresso. So he's doing over 380 milligrams of caffeine in the morning. And there's somewhere between just 80 and 100 milligrams of caffeine in your standard 8-ounce cup of coffee. So dude's doing almost four times the amount of caffeine. I mean, do what you got to do to get yourself through the morning. So I'm curious, what are some of your most... What do you, I mean, how much caffeine, how many cups of coffee you guys have in the morning? Like before you get to lunch. I know like like my dad used to do like two pots. Jeez. Yeah, back in the day. Hit us up in the app. Brian Bosard is next. Stay with us. Welcome back in. The opening kickoff just kind of getting started here on a Tuesday. In the app, one 16-ounce Bang Energy drink has 300 milligrams of caffeine. I drink one every morning. Can't be a sissy all your life. (laughs) Well done. I like Uh, it. The audio clip was Alex Verdugo, Red Sox, his third walk-off hit this year. Did he say Doogie in the— He did. I don't know if that's— You say Doogie, I think Doogie Howser. That's what I was thinking, too. I'm like, Doogie Howser plays baseball now? That's what I was thinking, too. I was trying to remember now. You brought this thing up about the caffeine. I was was listening yesterday. I I watched so many games, and they were talking about one individual player who had this strange habit that— he would come to the ballpark, do something, and then have his Red Bull about an hour yeah. before. But I can't remember which player. But I do know this. We do have Brian Bosarge from Deep Fried uh, Draft on uh, and uh, Draft Countdown, who really was a, a, a terrific guest for us leading up to the draft and stayed with us. Uh, good morning, Brian. How are you today? Hey, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you doing? All right. So now it's repeat and rinse, I guess. How did you do in the first round? I had seven matches in the first round. Um, the guy uh, in the scoring of, of media members submitted mock drafts. 171 submitted. I finished 12th. Yeah, hey, right. So 
uh, a new high for me. Felt pretty good about that. Congratulations, so. Brian. That's great. 12, 12 out of 171. Did you beat Kuiper and those guys? Kuiper actually only had one right. What? And, uh, he got he got Bryce Young, and that was it. Oh, well, that was a given. That was the only match. So he, here's my question about that, though, right? Because I feel like they, everybody kind of lost on a technicality with Will Anderson because everybody had him going second to the Texans, and as you know, he went to the Texans just one spot later. So I guess no one you don't even get a half you don't even get a half point for that. You don't even no, get partial credit. You actually get full credit for that. Do you? Because you're matching the player to the team. It doesn't matter the spot. You just match the player to the team. Ah. See, I got credit for uh, there was a was it Paris Johnson Jr. the Cardinals. I had him going three to them. Well, they end up trading back up from twelve to six to get him. So I technically got full ah. credit for that, even though it wasn't. Yeah, that's uh, how they scored. All right, how many of the <laughs> thirty-one first-round names did you have in there? I had twenty-six of the thirty-one. Very impressive, man. So we we yeah, that's on a few of the back end guys. It's start, it's started getting wild. Wild. It's because reports come out there. Basically, teams only had about seventeen or eighteen first round grades on players. So as we started getting into the twenties, you started seeing guys that probably should have been drafted in the second round getting pulled into the first round because you know teams just started taking guys that were highest on their board at that point. Brian, I don't know if you know how far back you go with this but I, I used to have Kuiper on I used to have McShay they blew me off now I, I'm not important enough but I don't need them I have you you're better there, there you go yeah I mean and and Brian by the way is local which even adds to it but yeah you're, you've got it all over them so you had 26 of the 31 uh any major surprises the, the way you saw it in the draft I wouldn't say major surprises other than you know Maybe Jameer Gibbs going as high as he did. I don't think anybody really saw that coming. You know, him going 12th overall to the Detroit Lions. I, I thought he would go in the first round. I had him mocked to the Saints in my final mock draft at 29. So I thought he would get in the first round. But he ends up going 12th overall, and there were reports come out that the Lions were ready to take him at six, even above B. John Robinson. That's the way the reports came out, and that is just blew my mind when I, when I read that. I was like, that took me off guard. But then they got the offer to go back down to 12. Uh, from six and took him there so very surprising you know that he went that high which teams do you think did the best in the draft the three days you know i guess future we'll, we'll figure this out next year with how the texans do but it was hard to argue with them being able to basically get to at the very least two of the top three players in this draft class you know, drafting C.J. Stroud to be their quarterback of the future and then trading back up to get Will Anderson. I don't view it necessarily as they traded up for Will Anderson as much as I think they traded up for the quarterback. You know, because if you if they had taken Anderson at two, it probably would have cost more for them to trade back up to three to draft C.J. Stroud than what it did to draft Will Anderson. So looking at it that way, but if they – they give up their first-round pick next year. They also have Cleveland's, but Arizona demanded that it be their first-round pick uh, next year to come back up, which was smart by them. Because right now, if you look at the reverse Super Bowl odds, Arizona's projected to have the first and second pick of the 2024 NFL draft. So they gave up a lot, per se, but uh, I think getting the two best players, two of the best players in the draft was, was a good way to go. Which of the four quarterbacks that we talked about the most, leaving out Herndon Hooker, but of the four, do you feel wound up with the best slot, let's say, uh, the best position, uh, the best team, uh, as far as, you know, chances to play and surrounded by uh, good players? I would imagine three of the four will start immediately. 
and that that includes Anthony Richardson. I, you know, the more I think about it, I was like, well, maybe he needs he needs to sit a year and everything like that. But I just I can't see Indianapolis after training camp and everything. You know, not playing Richardson immediately over Gardner Minshew. I just I don't know how he's going to get better sitting there behind Gardner Minshew and just throw him out there and see what happens. Maybe it, maybe it goes badly, maybe it doesn't. But I feel like that's going to be the best way forward. He's only played 13 games in his career. So, I mean, started, so he needs to get out there right and get it going. But I think Bryce Young set up probably in the best chance to succeed. Carolina was the better team of the three. So I feel like they're setting him up more for – they'll have more around him to set him up for success. They drafted well after that with the picks they had. So I'm anxious to see. And they also play in uh, the weakest division of the three. I, th- I think the NFC South is right for the taking. I mean, Bryce Young, in my opinion, is already at the very least the second-best quarterback in the NFC South behind Derek Carr. And I think it won't take long for him to surpass him. Wow. Uh, speaking of Anthony Richardson, i got to ask you, what do we know about his little brother? He kind of stole the show there for a minute, right? 13-year-old's got a voice like uh, Darth Vader. He got a neck tattoo, the whole deal. He kind of went viral there with that little interview. I think it was on the NFL Network, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I didn't say. If I did see that, I had it on mute. I, we, were live, <laughs> we were live streaming the, uh, the draft on our YouTube channel, so I didn't really see any or hear anything on the television. So I, I can offer no opinion on the future star power of uh, the younger Richardson. I was uh, reading today uh, what they call the sleepers, you know, the, the guys that uh, that were picked maybe lower than they should have who could turn out. And, and the first one in this story, and I forgot which site it was on this morning, was Brian Branch of Alabama. Did you, uh, as you look at the draft, the 259 players, any so-called sleepers, guys that maybe should have gone higher that didn't, that are probably going to pan out and do very well? Yeah, there was a handful of guys that I, I was surprised that fell down the board. And then, you know, you start to hear stuff come out about maybe potential injuries and stuff like that. Branch falling to 48 was a surprise, or 45, I should say. But I think, you know, he's going to a great situation to see with the Detroit uh, Lions defense. So I think he'll do well for himself. Uh, Michael Mayer falling out of the first round was a little surprising to me as well. I thought there were several landing spots in the back end of the first round for him. And he ended up falling, and the Raiders traded up to get him in the top of the second round. And there were a couple of guys that fell like into the third and fourth round that I thought would be, you know, at the very least, second round guys like Darnell Washington, the tight end from Georgia, as well as he tested at the combine. I thought he would end up much higher. He ended up going late third round to the Steelers. Um, but turn, uh, reports came out that he had maybe a knee injury or something that caused him to fall. So we'll, we'll see how that works out. But I thought him get, the Steelers getting him in the third round was a big steal. 14 quarterbacks, putting aside the five, including Herndon. Any of the other uh, nine that you see a future? And, and, I, and I look at uh, the, the Hainer from Fresno State who was drafted by the Saints. But are there any others out there that you felt, uh, you know, are, are ones to take a look at? Yeah, I mean, I think Hayner was was definitely one to uh, to go in a good spot. I, he could be a spot starter this year if, if there's an injury to Derek Carr, and I could see a path to him playing in the future, depending on how it is. Uh, Stetson Bennett, I think he's definitely going to probably end up playing at some point this year, just because Stafford's had recent injury history and going to the Rams. And I think that he was brought in specifically to be the backup because the Rams have to go cheap. 
this year at a lot of other places. They're they're in very bad salary cap situation, so they've got to get a lot of young backups. Let's say I think they had 15 or 16, 15 picks this year, draft picks, which may be a modern day record. I can't remember, but uh, so they they had to get a lot of cheap labor there. And I think Stetson Bennett being a potential backup quarterback with a chance to start this year, I like uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson being the backup for. Uh, Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. I thought he had really approved over the last three or four years, and, and getting to go go to the Browns in the fourth round is a good spot for him as well. Hey, man, thank you so much for jumping aboard. Congrats on the uh, first-round success, man. You knocked it out of the park this year. Well done. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, before you go, who who actually had the best? Who did the best of the 100? Uh, you know, I really like the Steelers draft as a whole. I no, 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 no. I'm, I'm sorry. No, Brian, I'm sorry. I meant of the the 171 draft Knicks, you said you oh, were 12th. Oh, oh. Yeah, who was number who one? Was I, some guy, Sean Green, Sports Gambling Podcast. I don't know who that is. And Sam Teach from Sports Talk with Sam Teach. I don't know who these guys are. Hey, uh, tell everybody how they can get uh, more information. It, it's it's always flowing when it comes to the NFL. Where can they get it? Yeah, we can. Uh, you can go to draftcountdown.com. We're already moving to 2024. I'll have a 2024 mock draft coming out this morning, so everybody go check that out. Follow <laughs> me on Twitter at Deep Fried Draft. Hey, man, great stuff. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, guys. Yep. All right. So if you want to, if you want a quick mock at next year's, give it a look. They already have Caleb Williams in some of the mock drafts as number one next year already. Yeah. Uh, all right. Apparently, uh, you guys, or at least one of our listeners, is no different than Cam in the amount of caffeine he takes in in the mornings. Uh, so I was curious, what is what is your morning caffeine intake? Because according to a report, Cam Newton uh, does roughly, what I say was, six shots of espresso. Throughout, he sips on them throughout the course of the morning. Someone did the, uh, the, the caffeine math on that. It's... Uh, it's like almost 400 milligrams of of caffeine. Um, that's a lot of caffeine, but apparently it's a it's it's comparable to to an energy drink. What do you what, you drink an energy drink, don't you? Or no? It's not really an energy drink. Power. Uh, it's it's uh, I I have uh, Avacare products. So this is a Spark, which has probably a hundred or 120 milligrams of caffeine, which is about what you get in a cup of coffee. And I've got, but I don't. I'm not a coffee drinker. You're not a coffee. No, drinker. I don't even touch coffee. I, I drink WNSP water. WNSP water, water cooler, dripping right off the glacier over there, the property over there, and I mean that's some high quality H2O right there. Are you? Are you a caf? Are you a caf? Are you a coffee drinker over there, Nick? Uh, yeah. I'm not. I don't really think it's that good. You do it Sometimes for the caffeine. I just like a little hot liquid in my mouth, you know. Pause. All right, six forty-five. On that note, <laughs> you know, sometimes you want something to warm up your gut a little bit. Yeah, you know, and then the caffeine's just like a plus. So you don't do it for the you don't do it for the caffeine. You do it for the warm liquid to to, to stimulate yeah. the gut. Yeah, like if 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 there was like if in there instead of the coffee setup they had like some hot soup. Or cocoa, like, hot okay, cocoa, hey, perhaps? I'm getting my hot liquid going. No, I don't like chocolate, really. Well, that's just downright un-American. I know, so that's my hot liquid options get uh, limited Yeah. when you start taking chocolate and stuff out. So it's either coffee or, like, 
Broth. Broth. <laughs> I don't know what else is there. Tea. Yeah, I like a hot tea. Yeah. Okay. You know, just some something hot for my gullet. <laughs> Learn more and more about Triple G every morning. Okay, you guys can jump in. Uh, when we come back, we're going to catch up with David Green next. Uh, Travis Ryer at 7.05. Hit us up in the app at WNSP.com. Wrapping up hour number one next right here on the sports station. WNSP and WNSP.com. Stay with us. Hey, this is former Mobile TV sportscaster Eric Clemens, and when I'm in town, I listen to 105.5 FM Sports Radio, WNSP. Welcome back in. Wrapping up hour number one. Thanks for hanging with us on this Tuesday. All right. If you need some legal advice, we got him. David Green from the Green and Phillips Injury Law Firm. He's front and center. Good morning, sir. How are you this morning? Good morning, fellas. How are y'all today? We're doing wonderful, David. Thank you for taking time to join us today. The subject matter, ooh, 18-wheelers. So my question to you is, uh, how is an accident with an 18-wheeler different from other accidents, or is it different? Well, it, it really is different, and, and you know, one of the most common uh, things to understand is the difference in weight. You're talking about a tremendous amount of weight. Um, you know, a vehicle that's loaded is very, very heavy versus a car or a motorcycle or something of that nature, and so you can have just horrible, horrible injuries as a result of this type of crash. And so um, in addition to that, you've got all types of regulations that uh, drivers of 18-wheelers must abide by. Uh, many of the companies do a great job. I don't want to pick on anybody who's not, you know, who's, who's doing it right. But there are companies out there that allow drivers to drive over their time limit, to drive, you know, loads that are overloaded. Got a case right now um, in Baldwin County involving an incredibly overloaded vehicle uh, that caused a horrible, horrible injury to several people. So. Um, you know these these cases are out there. They happen, and when they when they do, they can cause such horrific injuries, and it's it's a, uh, a bad situation when that occurs. All right, I got a, a, a something that happened in a family member. Luckily, it didn't turn out to be tragic or anything like that. But let's say you're driving along the highway, and you know those eighteen wheelers, and one of those tires comes loose, okay, and comes rolling into your car, causing your vehicle to crash. You get hurt. Is that a case? Do you have a case when a tire comes off an 18-wheeler? Yeah, very well can be. Very well can be. Uh, need more specifics, but more like more likely than not, it is. Uh, we've got a case right now. I think it's in northern Alabama uh, where a where a uh, a tool came off of an 18-wheeler, went through a windshield, and hurt a young lady very severely. And so that that does happen. And um, you know. That's, uh, you know, you know the, the recaps of tires come off, uh, things of that nature come off. And so uh, that's simply a maintenance issue. And if you leave a tool that's, you know, left on the back of an 18-wheeler uh, or any type of big vehicle uh, that falls off and hits the roadway, gosh, that can be a lethal weapon. It really can be. Big weekend for you and the family, huh? Graduation coming up at West Florida? Yes. Yes, it is. It's uh 
it's exciting. It's a little bit bittersweet. Uh, all the years of uh, doing all the football things, uh, that, that's, that's come to an end. But uh, uh, Jay Green is graduating uh, Saturday morning at 930 and then uh, headed off to, uh, to Cumberland Law School. So uh, we're excited for him, and uh, he's worked awfully hard. We're awfully proud of our I call him my little boy, but he's not so little anymore. <laughs> you know, David, do you think someday you'll be opposing him in a court case? <laughs> father, son? Oh, I, I don't think I'd want to do that. <laughs> it's always great. How can, pe- how can people get in touch with the Green and Phillips Injury Law Firm? It's very simple. GreenPhillips.com. Uh, it's very easy uh, for Mobile and Birmingham. And uh, you can come by 51 North Florida Street here in Mobile. You never need an appointment at Green and Phillips. Or Fourth Avenue North, the Forbes Building in downtown Birmingham. Go see Ben and Cody up there. Very good. We'll check in with you next week. Have a good time down there in Florida. Thanks. Will do. Mark, before uh, we move on, I I did want to identify because you know we do a great job following this championship uh, drive and so forth. They had the uh, golf sectionals yesterday. Six A boys, UMS Wright uh, won that. Seven A boys, St. Paul's. And in girls, UMS Wright uh, won the 7A in girls. You know, we've talked to their coaches all during the year. So they perhaps will be on their way to uh, uh, a blue map. Also want to congratulate Buddy Fleming at a 67 for St. Paul's boys. Francis Brown at a 72 for UMS Wright girls. They were the low medalists. And Thomas Crane and Jackson Spivey had uh, 67s in the 6A boys. Um, I mentioned earlier, you we, we talked about the um, – the Alabama story with Ohio. We'll get to that with Travis Ryer, this gambling story. But I mentioned there was another weird story that came out of a school, Texas A&M, Texarkana in Texas over the weekend where one of the ball players was like in the bullpen and he got shot in the stomach. Yeah, a stray bullet. And Mark, I read one report that there's been some arrests, but he wasn't targeted. What it was, there was like an altercation in, in the neighborhood. And I saw one report where they said the bullet traveled over 400 yards from where this incident occurred. And this, this kid is just in the bullpen, you know, games going on. They actually stopped the game and, you know, that was it. And they took him to the hospital. He apparently is okay. And there have been some arrest warrants issued for this. But uh, just really weird stuff. And, and like I said, in, in this gambling case, and we just don't know enough about it, involving the Alabama-LSU Game 1 of the three-game series on Friday where the Ohio uh, betting people, they've, they've stopped all bets on Alabama baseball. Who would ever think that would happen? Uh, so a quick Google search. A twenty-two caliber bullet can travel around one to one and a quarter miles. Some bullets, such as the 9mm, may travel up to 3 miles. How about that? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Think about this. You're in the bullpen. You're enjoying the day. You know, it's games going on, and then you get struck by a bullet. And, again, not from anybody at the game. This occurred from some neighborhood altercation that occurred. So, like I said, some strange doings in college uh, baseball this weekend. Hmm. That's crazy. It is. And then you got that, you know, other story with the uh, the Alabama compliance officer. I haven't seen a follow up on that. Uh, he was arrested and charged with third degree uh, domestic violence. Yeah, what's going on in Tuscaloosa? You tell me, my friend. Too I don't know, caffeine. man. It's, Too much caffeine? Yeah, or not enough. <laughs> so yeah, so we were talking about how much caffeine do you guys uh, 
inhale, for lack of a better term, because because uh, there's a report that Cam Newton in the uh, now that uh, he he sips on eight. Did I say eight? I think it was eight espressos. No, I'm sorry, six. Six shots of espresso every morning, and then pairs that with a cigar. Are you saying espresso or are you espresso? Saying Is espresso. that better? Espresso. I, I apologize. You think somebody's going to sign him to? Uh, huh? You think somebody's going to sign him? Unlikely. I mean, I, I think there's always that that time frame in camp where they need an arm, right? Injuries, whatever. I guess there's a possibility, but I don't know. I, I I find it unlikely. It becomes more and more unlikely. Still pretty young, isn't he? Like 32, 33. In this day and age, where quarterbacks are staying around and doing very well, 35, 36, 37. I, He's I, 33 years old. Yeah, that's the ones that can throw. <laughs> How about the ones that can run? He can't run anymore. They don't really go past 33. Unless, of when, course, you're Anthony Michael? Richardson. Well, then in oh, that case, well, I mean, you know, you listen, people, Eagles. at his size, let me tell you. How old was Michael Vick when you played for the Eagles? Um, that's a good question. He's probably around 30-something. He's currently 42. I don't know if I can do that math quick enough. Oh, come on. For somebody who came well, up with Well, the music's playing. The Eagles. What you did yesterday with that, uh, that 37-cent class action suit, Mark, you can do anything math-wise. That's a good point, but I haven't had my caffeine yet. Uh, Travis Ryers next. We'll get back to it. Stay with us. It's the opening kickoff. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right, 7.04. Thanks for hanging with us. The opening kickoff, Mark and Lee and Triple G. We're in the studios of WNSP. Some of the uh, headlines before we get to our next guest, Travis Trier from BAM Online. James Harden tied a career-high or tied a career-high playoff mark with 45 points last night. Philadelphia without Joel Embiid in the lineup. He was out with an injury. Beat the Celtics despite the fact the Celtics shot 58% and committed only 10 total fouls in the game. First team ever to do that and lose a game in NBA history, 119-115. And in the other playoff game, which is really getting overshadowed by Philadelphia and Boston, as well as Los Angeles and uh, Golden State, which begins tonight, Denver beat Phoenix 97-87. to That's one of the uh, headline stories. The other story we were talking about, and maybe, maybe we get clarification from Travis Ryer. Here's Travis on the air with us right now. Good morning, Travis. How are you today? I'm great. How are you guys? Good. I, I certainly this morning didn't think I thought we'd be talking maybe the draft or uh, maybe even Alabama baseball. But that Alabama baseball story, did you see this with the LSU game Friday night where the Ohio gambling regulators have uh, told everybody they're taking Alabama baseball off the books for suspicious betting? <laughs> yeah, I did see that. What is and, uh, what strikes nothing, you? Nothing yells a cry for help like gambling on college baseball. <laughs> 
So I kind of classify that one under you get what you deserve. If you're betting college baseball, we got bigger issues in play than uh, suspicious activity. You know, because, look, it's an Alabama team that's coming off a three-game sweep on the road at Missouri. And uh, if you haven't watched Alabama baseball that much, you, you, you may not realize that their bullpen – hasn't exactly been a strength for this team. So uh, Alton Davis the second had been pretty good uh, in some situational closing roles uh, of late. But, yeah, I got a kick out of that one. Yeah, and Mark and I are kind of tossing this around, like how does a story like this develop? Where does it come from? Why in Ohio, of all places? And who's betting on Alabama LSU in the state of Ohio? Well, it sounds like, you know, somebody maybe – put a hurting on the folks in Ohio in that Friday night game. And, uh, of course, it, it had to be fixed for that to happen, right? But, um, you know, again, as uh, as crazy as college baseball can be, you know, Alabama scored 25 runs in that series and didn't win a game. You know, that's college baseball, especially in the SEC. Uh, you know, it, you're, you're taking a great risk every weekend. I mean, you talk about the best teams in the league, but then you see teams like Auburn winning series against South Carolina. You know, I mean, it's that's the life, that's the world of SEC baseball, in my opinion. How does it maybe, look? I mean, maybe maybe there will be more that comes from this. I don't know, but it, just on its surface, to me, I would probably bet pro wrestling before I'd bet <laughs> college baseball. <laughs> Yeah, and that's not fixed. Uh, so, like, so let me ask you this. How does it look for Alabama down the road in the SEC tournament? They're okay, right? They're going to get in? Yeah, they're still in okay shape uh, just because the West is so crazy. Um, but, you know, they're 9-12 and 12 now in the SEC. Uh, it doesn't get any easier, as it never does in the SEC, because now you got Vanderbilt coming to town on a, in a series that actually starts on Thursday. So it's a quick turnaround for Alabama, but – an opportunity at home to maybe win a series against a Vanderbilt team and, and solidify that status. I mean, we know magic numbers in the SEC when you start thinking about Hoover and or NCAA regionals. You know, you're usually talking about 12, 13, 14 conference wins, and you feel pretty good. Alabama sitting here at nine still, and so still work to be done for Brad Bohannon's team. Uh, let's uh, let's switch gears. Uh talk a little draft with you which Alabama player minus minus Bryce Young has the biggest impact on whatever franchise is rostered next season yeah it, it needs to be Will Anderson uh, based on what Houston was willing to do to come back up the three and get him I would think and uh, you know you're talking about uh, a guy that I'm sure Houston views not only as the defensive face of its franchise along with probably Derek Stingley, who they selected last year. Um, but, you know, he has that potential to be a, a J.J. Watt type, um, not only on the field but off the field. You know, as, as much as J.J. Um, you know, impacted things defensively for the Texans for so many years, uh, off the field you, you still see his work. So, yeah, I would say obviously will, but, you know, you start getting – uh, beyond those guys, I think Brian Branch has that opportunity in Detroit. Some value there for the Lions in the second round. Um, and sticking with the Lions, uh, Jameer Gibbs. You know, they shipped DeAndre Swift off to Philadelphia after the draft. And uh, I think they're looking at more of a one-two punch there, which is the ideal situation for Jameer. I don't think Jameer is a 20-plus touch per game guy. 
Uh, but if you're getting 12 to 15 and you incorporate the, his abilities as a receiver and maybe even as a kick returner into that, um, he could add a lot to that Detroit offense. You know what, Travis? That seemed to be an eye-opener on the first round. Most people were taken back by that. They couldn't believe he went that high. Did it surprise you at all? A little bit, but, you know, when B. John Robinson went as high as he did in the top ten to Atlanta, that was great news for Jameer because he was the unanimous second back in this draft, and some people had him as vying for the top spot, which – I think Detroit taking Jameer at the spot that the Lions did kind of spoke to that, that, you know, it wasn't maybe this clear-cut delineation from Bijan Robinson to Jameer Gibbs. Maybe in some eyes of some clubs, it was viewed as Robinson and Gibbs or maybe even Gibbs a little bit ahead. Let me ask you this. As you look ahead to this year's Alabama roster, and they have this amazing run of 15 straight years of having at least one player go in the uh, first round, who might be some of those players or player off this year's roster to look for next year? Yeah, you're a little worried for Kool-Aid McKinstry right now because he's showing up in a lot of these top tens for first-round mocks way too early for 2024, and that was Eli Ricks a year ago that yeah. we saw from some of these same outlets. So you're like, wow, uh, hopefully Kool-Aid isn't victimized by the, the same end of that. But, no, I think Kool-Aid has shown you, though, that over an extended stretch, he's a high-level player on the outside, whereas with Ricks, it was mostly on physical attributes and some flash that we had seen from him at LSU previously, and really a lot of that, I think, was more working inside, not on the outside. So, you know, Kool-Aid's going to be one of those guys. I think J.C. Latham um, certainly can be one of those guys at the offensive tackle position, and a lot of folks think Dallas Turner at the outside linebacker position sort of rounds out that threesome. Travis Ryer, our guest here on uh, WNSP. So I saw where I think USA Today came out with their top 25 after spring practice rankings because, you know, we can't get enough of this kind of stuff. They've got Alabama three behind Georgia and Michigan. But I just – you've been covering this team a long time. After this – this this doesn't really kind of feel like one of those springs where everybody's got an eye – that where they're a prohibited favorite. It just it just kind of feels different, I guess, because there's so many questions, specifically at quarterback. Yeah, I think it starts at quarterback. And, I mean, you saw that, a continuation of that, with the addition of Tyler Buckner uh, to the quarterback room here in the last week after spring practice. So it starts there. But I think the schedule also plays into that, too. I don't know Michigan's 2023 schedule game for game, but I do know Georgia's pretty yeah. well. Yeah. And Georgia's is very beneficial in fairness to the Bulldogs, they did have Oklahoma scheduled in early September. That game had to be um, had to go by the wayside because of the impending arrival of OU into the SEC. So you give them a, a break on that. But really, otherwise, when I look at Georgia's schedule, I'm going to check back on the dogs probably in November. You know, when they go to Tennessee and maybe even Ole Miss. Although you you worry about Ole Miss in November because typically a roster like that is really showing the effects of a, of a long season at that point from a depth perspective. Uh, so Georgia should be fine. I know the cocktail party in Jacksonville, but uh, we haven't seen enough from the Gators of late to think that um, they'll get the job done there in Jacksonville. So, yeah, I think the schedule for Alabama, because you start in September, Texas is going to be a challenge, certainly in Tuscaloosa in week two. 
then you get into a stretch of SEC play, even going on the road to USF, which should be uh, a breather for Alabama in some ways down in Tampa. But, you know, you get into that SEC play into the month of October. The good news for Alabama is, and really when you look at the opposing quarterbacks on Alabama's schedule, it's a really good group starting with yours, Jaden Daniels, K.J. Jefferson, uh, Ole Miss's duo, uh, Joe Milton, you know, a lot of good quarterbacks on Alabama's schedule. But uh, the good news for Alabama is a lot of those games are in Tuscaloosa, Texas, LSU, um, you know, those kind of matchups that uh, are going to go a long way in, in defining Alabama's season. As always, great stuff, Travis. How can people continue to follow everything going on in Tuscaloosa? Because apparently there's a lot going on. Yeah, go to BamaOnline.com or Alabama.247sports.com. Either way, will get you up. Have a great week. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. Yep. Scoreboard, traffic, weather are next. Uh, we got some Chick-fil-A this hour. Uh, Ross Jackson is going to join us. We'll talk some Saints. Hour number three includes Dan Jennings in Orlando, Alzagari. Continue with your comments in the app at WNSP.com. Uh, we, we told you about Cam Newton and the six espressos that he has a day along in the morning, including a cigar. He, he balances that out with a cigar. Got us thinking. What is your uh, what is your morning routine when it comes to intake of caffeine and what other bizarre combinations might you throw out there in your mornings? We want to hear from you. It's the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee and Nick, of course, who added that he just needs a a warm liquid substance, a little slap in the face. To who? Nick, get him uh, going. That's uh, all he needs. Just slap him in the face. Alarm clock going. Hot. On. It's got to be hot liquid. Oh, a hot, hot take. It's a hot take. Indeed it is. Stay with us. Hi, this is Mark Malone, former NFL quarterback. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Defense, here comes Tatum. One to fire. Blogged in. It's intercepted. Maxie's got it. The shot clock didn't go off. Maxie the other way. Slams it down. Philadelphia's got 722, welcome back in. The opening kickoff, Mark Lee and Triple G. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. I want to tell you about uh, Dr. Christopher Mullenix, specializing in normal extractions as well as wisdom teeth, extractions, TMJ, jaw surgeries, teeth in a day, and dental implants. Look, uh, you don't need a referral. If you want a recommendation, I'm giving him one. He's very professional, very uh, personable. Staff does a great job. They get you through that waiting room in a hurry to the x-rays and then to the dental chair. 30 minutes later, at least when I had my dental implants, I'm out. Next day, no pain and very, very little discomfort. Dr. Christopher Mullinex, located at 715 Downtown or Boulevard. And uh, if you want to reach them for day of appointment or any appointment, 471-3381. I, I know what I'm talking about. I've had about seven or eight dental implants, and everything is going very, very well. And I really appreciate the work of Dr. Christopher Mullinex, as I do appreciate Mobile Oral and Facial surgery as being our title sponsor for our championship drive which takes us where mark this week to uh mcgill tooling oh boy in our final uh be championship drive stop uh you've coached a lot of basketball games doesn't matter what level have you ever see I, I mean this happens i'm sure but brogdon yesterday in the final what 20 seconds and the shot clock is winding down and i was watching this game in real time and i'm like celtics you better shoot the ball i mean it's like a one or two point game they had 15 turnovers at that time brogdon threw the ball right to maxi 
almost like he was a teammate. Have you ever had that happen in a game where one of your guys threw it to the other team inexplicably for no reason, just throw it to him? Yeah, I'm sure it's happened. I mean, it, um, you, you, he's there one second, you look away, you turn around, and you just, re, you know, reflexes, you just throw it there, you thought he was there. It's possible. I mean, I, I've seen it happen. I, I don't know if it's ever happened at a more inopportune time than what we saw yesterday. I mean, that's just bad timing. Uh, I mean, they might as well have given that dude the assist on that one. But, uh, yeah, it's it's been known to happen. It's unfortunate. You know, whenever there's a reference to the past, for instance, whenever you call for a timeout and you don't have it, there's a reference to Chris Webber. But that, to me, was a reference to Freddie Brown back in the Georgetown-North Carolina championship game, NCAA championship game with seconds winding down. And uh, Brown threw the ball. I think it was to James Worthy. Was that the one for the North Carolina? One of the Carolina players. It wasn't like a steal. He just threw the ball to him. That, to me, those scenarios aren't as bad as when like, you see the guy out of the corner of your eye and you think he's on the court, but he's just walking down the bench. <laughs> or you see that blur in your corner, and it's the referee, and you throw it to the referee. I mean, this was obviously the worst because it actually wound up being a steal and layup. But that guy that throws it out of bounds because they see their te- their teammate or whatever, and he's all he's doing is walking to the scorer's bench. I mean, that, that kind of stuff is... I mean, uh, it's different if, if you throw the ball... And you throw it to, let's say, the opponent, but you know they, maybe the the guy, you know, the time was running out and the shot clock was going to expire. But the point is, he threw the ball to Maxi, who just there was nobody there to stop him from a layup. If you're going to throw the ball inadvertently like that, throw it to somebody maybe in the lane, so at least you have a chance to defend it. That Philadelphia defense had them shook. Yeah, that was an amazing defensive possession. Yeah, and I think I'm about to lock in my next Nick Wiggins guarantee. Uh oh. Like, so, like, in this segment, or do we need to wait an hour, a day? No, like, right now. Okay. Uh, breaking news. Do we have a theme for this? We need a little breaking yeah, news kind of disclaimer. News. Yeah, we do. Wait, do I still have that? I might have some Christmas music still on here. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, because Christmas comes early. Oh, uh, okay. The next Nick Wiggins Triple G guarantee, guarantee, guarantee. The Philadelphia 76ers are going to the NBA Finals. You heard it here first, yeah. folks. Okay, so I got questions. Why? And it has nothing to do with your 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 uh, your prediction here, but why do we have that saved on the computer? For what reason? I put it in there for the Christmas episode, and it just is still there. Oh, okay. The Christmas now, episode. We, in fairness, like Nick, we're South Park or something. And Nick, in fairness, we should mention that both you and I were a little bit off. We had both Milwaukee going to the. Uh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you just on, you just opened the folder. Yeah, I did. Yeah, you found was all it, sorts that, of sound was that, effects. Was, was that Christmas music also, or uh, was that more uh, Thanksgiving? Um. Great. Now we're gonna hear that all. He's he's. How many got in there? Yeah, <laughs> there we go. All right, so there it is. Uh, remember, folks, Nick it's has... It's going to happen. So they're going to the finals? They're going to the finals. All right, they just have to get to the finals. They don't, they don't have to win it. They're just getting to the finals. That's the guarantee. That's right. Now, according to Triple G now, he has yet to miss on a guarantee. Uh, well, he did have Milwaukee going like I did. But that wasn't a guarantee. That was a pick. That was a prediction. Oh, I see. There's, There's a difference between a prediction and a guarantee. I'm I'm much more arrogant about the guarantees. I can predict that 
Nick will be wrong with his guarantee, but I have not guaranteed that he's going to be wrong with his guarantee. Well, this is getting really confusing now. <laughs> Do we have any music for your uh, guarantee to his guarantee? Do we have a music no. for that? No, well, but you see, I just said I didn't guarantee anything about his guarantee. I can guarantee at some point he'll be wrong with a guarantee. It's only a matter of time. Uh, I have a guarantee. I have a guarantee. What's your guarantee? That if we get Ross Jackson, he's going to tell us about the Saints draft. I'm going to be safe online. Make sure we get that done. It's what we love about you, your I'm hot take. Yeah, my hot take. Yeah. And by the way, you made the point about if he was going to inadvertently throw it to somebody, he should throw it in the lane. Well, that you're missing the whole point of inadvertent. <laughs> like, that's the whole reason he... I'll explain at the break. That was actually Tatum's fault. He was supposed to be up there at the top, but he... It's kind of like when a receiver runs the wrong route, but the quarterback gets tagged with the, with the interception. I can see that. All right. I guarantee we'll be back right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Chick-fil-A. I could eat there seven times a day Where the people laugh and children play Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A The music, what do you got for the fine folks this morning, Mr. Shervain? The New Orleans Saints uh, have the longest stretch in the NFL with the draft of not selecting a first-rounder from the SEC. Name the last SEC player that the Saints drafted in the first round. And like I said, it's been a while since they've drafted a first-rounder from the SEC, which is the longest stretch. So if you know the answer, give us a call because we're going to talk Saints and draft right now with Ross Jackson from Crescent City Sports. Ross, welcome to the opening kickoff. Good morning. How are you today? It, it appears your, uh, your guarantee fast. at this point not going good. is not going well. Oh, boy. We're efforting now. Whether or not Nick has done it on purpose, simply to to to, would he do that to me? I, I think he would to prove that your guarantee. Actually, well, we, he just got Ross, so I I apologize to Nick for wrongly Ross. accusing him of trying to sabotage your guarantee. Well, the guarantee was that if we get him, we'll oh talk the if if oh, okay. I did say if because I know that we do. Sometimes. All right. Well, now the state of Ohio has taken uh, any betting on the uh, uh, of the opening kickoff off the board for conspicuous wording. I wonder what Chris Stewart has to say about all this. He's the voice of Alabama baseball, but we got Ross Jackson, voice of uh, Saints, at least with us right now. Welcome to the show, Ross. How you doing? Hey, buddy. Doing great. Doing great. Thanks so much, as always, for having me on. Glad to be back with you. So they draft Brewer, defensive lineman, who's had a history of injuries in the college uh, football with Clemson. Do you like this choice, first round? Yeah, I, I do. Um, he's got, you know, the ACL injury that's two, that he's two years removed from. And, of course, ACL injuries we sort of look at a lot differently than we looked at them five, ten years ago. Uh, he's got a shoulder surgery back in 2022, but the biggest thing that sort of kept him out of games last year was this sort of fluke kidney uh, kidney infection that he had. And then, of course, he was dealing with uh, family tragedy and things like that throughout 2022. So uh, I think this is a guy that has proven that he can manage adversity. He's proven that he can be perseverant and resilient. He's a high-character guy. It's all the things that the New Orleans thinks like. And 
he's incredibly disruptive uh, in the middle of the defensive line, and that's a spot where the New Orleans Saints really needed to add some more disruption, add some more pass rushing prowess, and I think that uh, Brzee brings that to them. So where did they help themselves in the draft? What position the most, or defense or offense? Uh, I would probably say defense because defense is the spot that needed kind of the most attention, particularly along the defensive line. And I can focus in on defensive line as the, the unit that I think they improved the most. Bringing in uh, Ryan Brzee out of Clemson, but then adding Isaiah Foskey out of Notre Dame, who is the all-time or career sack leader for Notre Dame, which is a history of franchise. And this is a guy that owns it. He's got 26 and a half sacks. Um, six foot six, two hundred sixty-four pounds. Runs four five speed. He's going to be so he's going to be able to contribute on the move, help to set the edge in the run game, get after the passer as well, and then also be able to hopefully help you out a little bit with the mobile quarterback situation that the Saints defense has kind of always dealt with as well. So uh, I like some of the additions that they made over on the offensive side, but I think the place where they made the biggest leap and the biggest improvement is on that defensive line. So you you mentioned offensive. So which. Uh draftee on the offensive side do you think contributes most this upcoming season? Uh, I would probably start with Kendra Miller, the running back out of TCU. Uh, I know he's got the um, the the right knee injury, which is just a, an MCL sprain. It's going to be fine by the time that he gets to training camp and all that, so the expectation is that he'll be 100% go there, but you know, you look at the other picks over on offense, Nick Saldaveri, he's probably going to be, you know, the guard or, or who's going to move to guard. He's probably going to be behind and just beating Cesar Ruiz as they play through what are contract years for them now after Ruiz's six-year, fifth-year option didn't get picked up. Uh, so he'll probably be a little bit more of a depth piece first. A.T. Perry's going to be a little bit more of a depth piece first behind guys like Michael Thomas and Chris Olave and Rashid Shahid, possibly Brian Edwards as well. Um, you know, so I think that the, the and then of course, Jake Hayner's not going to be taking any snaps in 2023, barring any injuries to starting quarterbacks. But I just think that, you know, you look at Kendra Miller, he's got the greatest path ahead of him in terms of um, this draft class over the offensive side in terms of immediate impact. There's a potential that Alvin Kamara misses six or more games in 2023. And even if he doesn't, the Saints are going to use Kendra Miller. They're going to rotate him along with Kamara and Jamal Williams. So I think he's got the best bet to be the most impactful uh, rookie on the offensive side uh, early in his career. What did they like about Hayner, the Fresno State quarterback? Oh, I mean, gosh, what didn't they like? I mean, the guy's a, you know, he's a small quarterback, but, you know, he changes arm angles to make sure that he's sitting tight windows. He moves in the pocket laterally to make sure that he finds those windows as well. He's a quick mental processor. He's a tough guy. He's an inaccurate passer. Not the biggest arm. He doesn't have a Jason, you know, uh, um, an Anthony Richardson arm or a Will Levis arm or anything like that, but his ability to process information and, and be able to make quick and good decisions and take care of the ball. These are all things the Saints are going to, you know, the Saints do like about him and the Saints are going to love about having him um, in, the, in the building as, as a backup quarterback that's going to see the field very similarly to the way that his mentor, Derek Carr, uh, also sees the field. These guys went to Fresno State. Um, you know, they have a connection there already. Um, and uh, I think that what he does is that he provides Derek Carr with a guy for the next three to four years, four to five years, however long, uh, with a back of a quarterback that sees the field the same way that he sees the field and that's able to kind of be that clipboard guy on the sideline to help him sort of go through everything once Jameis Winston, uh, I, I expect, uh, will be gone after this year. All right, so going into the draft, what were the- – in 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 your opinion, the biggest needs, 
and were they met? I know we talked about D-line a little bit, uh, I think, last time you were on with us, but tight end? Linebackers were those were those would 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 that be would those be a couple of situations? Yeah, those are a couple that they didn't necessarily address. But I thought that their biggest needs were defensive line, particularly on the interior, edge rusher, offensive line, and running back. Those are my four kind of big ones for them. And I had slot corner kind of in there as well. Um, and I think that they did help themselves in all of those spots. Jordan Howden, the safety out of. Uh, out of Minnesota, 500-plus special team snaps throughout his career, but also 200-plus slot snaps in each of the last three years, the spot that he he played the most in um, the Golden Gophers secondary. So I think it gives you some depth there at slot corner, which was another spot that I thought that they needed. But uh, tight end and linebacker were on that list as well. They didn't address linebacker at all. And uh, tight end, they they weakened that room when they traded away Adam Troutman, who I understand asked for to be traded back uh, back in February. And so it worked out as they were kind of watching A.T. Perry and trying to figure out if they were going to be able to get up and get him. There's an opportunity for them to do that, and it cost, you know, they just sent Adam Troutman back to Sean Payton uh, over in Denver in order to be able to get that done. So I expect that you'll see some moves um, both at linebacker and tight end, possibly still on the defensive interior as well, sort of as we're into this post-compensatory free agency area. Um, you know, they have some undrafted free agents at all those spots too, and yeah, we'll see how that works out. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's still an opportunity for them to go out and find some veterans, especially with the cap space that they have. How, how did, as you look down the road, their roster, the Saints roster, as it is today, look in comparison to the other three teams in the NFC South? Uh, I think there's an equal amount of question marks all around. It's just who's got the biggest question marks at the positions that matter most. And, you know, Bryce Young, how is he going to translate to the NFL, especially with his size? It's a major question mark for the Carolina Panthers. Desmond Ritter, you know, they give him a little bit of help. They put Bijan Robinson in the backfield. They bring in Matt Bergeron, who's going to move inside and be a, you know, a, a really good guard for them. But how improved is Desmond Ritter, and who is Desmond Ritter? That's the biggest question for the Falcons. You look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, their draft was, was fine. I, I like the additions of, like, Kalijah Canty and, and, and all that. But they didn't really they didn't really wow you very much with their draft class. But, you know, you you have a quarterback conundrum here in Kyle Trask and, and Baker Mayfield. So I think the Saints are the only ones that are, you know, kind of have a little bit more of a sure answer at the most important question mark, which is quarterback, which I think gives them at least a little bit of an edge. But I do think that they have the roster to be able to match up with the uh, the guys they're going to line up against in those other division uh, division rivals. Who has a better chance to start, either Foskey or Brewer, the defensive lineman? Who do you like better? Uh, pro- probably Brzee. I think that he is you know, probably getting you know, uh, 30, 40 percent of snaps to start off the season, but then he's very quickly going to transition into being you know, your starting defensive tackle. I think he's going to get there pretty quickly. Um, Isaiah Foskey, though, I, I think has an opportunity to be there, too. The thing about the both of them is that they play in positions where the Saints rotate quite a bit, so they might start week one but not start week two based on the matchup and things like that. So all those things would factor in, but I think both of those guys have an opportunity to have several starts throughout their rookie seasons, but I would expect that Brian Brzee is the guy that gets the first one. All right, Ross, we always appreciate the time. Nice work as always. How can people continue to follow your coverage uh, post-NFL draft on the New Orleans Saints? Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Always a pleasure to be here with you. If you want more on the New Orleans Saints, the draft class, you can find it over the Locked on Saints podcast, which you can find on YouTube. 
wherever you get your podcast, just search Locked on Saints. You can also find the written work over at CrescentCitySports.com and then also um, Saints News Network, Sports Illustrated's fan nation site covering the New Orleans Saints. But you can find that all in one place um, at uh, Ross Jackson NOLA on Twitter. Hey, man, appreciate it. Have a good week. Thank you. You too, guys. Thanks so much. Take care. Stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Uh, congratulations to James uh, Lee. He got the answer to your question. Mark Ingram was the last SEC player that the Saints drafted in the first round, and that was, what, 2011, I think, 2012. So it goes back quite a long time. All right, James, you got a little Chick-fil-A, man. Compliments to WNSP. Can we talk about, yes. speaking of uh, running backs being drafted in the first round by local teams, can, can we talk about Bajan Robinson a little bit? <laughs> I feel like I feel like that pick is getting some uh, flack from people, and I don't really understand – Actually, Nick, from from what I've heard now, it's getting a lot of praise. I've heard a lot of people think, saying that they're confused on why you would draft a guy that early at that position of running back. Well, you're okay Which from I the don't standpoint, agree with because right? I but think Bijan Robinson is Christian McCaffrey and Adrian Peterson's body. Ooh, a little transplant. <laughs> so. Okay, uh, the only flack that's coming <laughs> out of this is because of his perception about running backs, you know, that, that you don't need to take them early. That That's the only flack. But as far as on the draft boards, most everybody had him up way up there. And lately I've heard nothing but good things. And, and even you heard uh, Ross even mention, you know, that the Falcons – uh, really helped themselves offensively by bringing him in. I, I, from what I, I'm just telling you, what I've heard and read, that most I, I would say the slant is that was a very very good pickup, getting away from this thinking, this dinosaur thinking that you shouldn't take a running back in the first round. I'm with you, Lee. We, we're agreeing on something. Oh yeah, no, I think it's a very good move. The pick is like a C, and I think that. Uh, they don't know what they're talking about because that's an A plus plus. Nick, I've seen the these grades, and again, take it for what it's worth. I mean, it's just one person's opinion, but most of the grades I've seen give the Falcons an A minus for their draft. Dang, I need to be on on the uh, on the articles that you're reading. My articles are hating on me. They're trying to trigger me. No, no, me don't get depressed up. about this. This, uh, I think, the Robinson pick should because first of all, the guy's going to be a starter. Now you get an instant starter, right? It's not a guy that you have to learn. And running backs get in there quickly. Now, the Gibbs, Mark, you talked about this last week. The Gibbs shocked a lot of people. Most people didn't have him going in the first round or, you know, as a running back. But I think from Robinson's standpoint, I think he gets a pass. The people thought this was a – I'm talking about the talking heads and the, you know, the draft Knicks thought this was a very good pickup. He's, yeah, I go ahead. I'm sorry. He's going to be like Debo Samuel. But if instead of more wide receiver and some running back, it's going to be more running back and some wide receiver. I'm telling you, people, Christian McCaffrey and Adrian Peterson's body, and I might be underselling it. So if Christian McCaffrey and Adrian Peterson had a love child, it would be B. John Robinson. Yeah, but don't let <laughs> AP get too close Very good, to Mark. Him. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just hope AP doesn't d discipline the young man. Exactly. Um, too soon, too soon. So I do. I, I think the knock, if you're hearing a knock, isn't it? I think the the other side of that coin, though, is that the Falcons managed to engineer a pretty good rushing attack with uh, with with lesser talent, and so the idea is that you could replicate that 
without going running back that high. That's the argument. The flip side, though, is what can that rushing attack do with legit talent there? I'm glad there? to see running backs taken higher. I, I mean, kind of do, too. I am. In my day, running backs were a premium. They they were the, what you the went after in thinking? the draft. Yes. Back in the uh, when I first started <laughs> following this draft and everything, everybody wanted running backs. Everybody had great running backs. Then you got away with the quarterbacks and the offensive tackles. But uh, I see the running backs coming back a little bit as far as being a, a pretty good draft pick. Well, and you look at like how teams are using running backs. You yeah. get them on the rookie deal. You have them for four years. And then maybe you resign them. Maybe you don't. And they get a big deal somewhere else. So we're basically locking up a top ten running back in the league for the next four years. I don't see the negative. In this I pick. haven't heard anything negative about him as a performer. All right, no, can I we agree on either. that? I just seen people like they say that the value well, is it's bad. Small you thinking. could have drafted him later, but you couldn't have drafted him later if the Lions were picking Gibbs at twelve. Right, he, he had to draft. Him. He probably would have or, gone. See, we were hoping he dropped down to twenty nine. Right, right, weren't we? Now, did did he? Did you have to get Bijan at eight because Gibbs was going early too, or did Detroit jump on Gibbs because they saw Bijan go so early? I, I think, think you could. Have, you have to give it an A because Bijan Robinson, and I'll say it again so it gets imprinted in everyone's head. He is Christian McCaffrey inside the body of Adrian Peterson, and when I say that, you can't tell me that's not one of the best running backs you've ever heard of before. <laughs> and the Atlanta Falcons are the most power running offense ever, and we don't even have to worry about. Uh, us overworking him because we have two other really good running we, backs. Be careful on that, that ever. Uh, that you know, you mean in your lifetime? I mean, in your lifetime. I don't want to get back into the eras argument. My like Jim Brown, <laughs> yeah, my but Jim Brown era. Don't don't do that because you're going to lose on that one. Where you have Adrian Peterson is a, a top three running back in NFL history, rightly. Um, I never give much thought. I have Brown number one. Gosh, you got. Peterson, you have Sanders, you have Emmett Smith, you have uh, there's just been so many great ones. I I have Jim Brown up here and then the rest behind him. I, I don't know if I'd have Peterson as the top three, but I if you want to, that's fine. I don't have a problem with it. But when you said the most power running game, I got to tell you, Nick, when I was following the Cleveland Browns, when Jim Brown, I, I'm, I'm talking about in the in the I know now. I know what you're saying, but Not they ever. once ran the ball. The the, the first 15 plays, they ran the ball. <laughs> Who does that? Nobody does that in the NFL anymore. Atlanta. 15 plays, they ran. Well, I do think, uh, and it's kind of like the evolution of the NBA. We talk about positionless players. I think when you start talking about running backs, I think the reason why I don't have a problem with teams taking them sooner is because they've evolved as pass catchers too, right? They become so much more of the offense. You have guys that wind up lining up in the slot and trying to get those mismatches outside with running backs, and then you bring them back inside. Um, so I, I think there's more value to running backs than, than the general consensus i mean i mean they got to pick up on blitzes i mean you, you talk about left tackles and how valuable they are show me a le show me a, a running back that can't pick up a blitz and i'll show you that running back sitting on the bench yeah right I so the i think they're a lot more valuable than people give them credit for well the argument that people make i think is that they think you and i mean you can you can get a running back in like the sixth round the fifth round and they'll 
their production will be pretty good. You know what I mean? Sure. Tyler Algier, we drafted him last year. He broke the Falcons' rookie rushing record, rushed for 1,000 yards, and he was our backup running back. But 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 that point right there, and that's kind of why people maybe aren't so high on uh, Robinson being drafted at 8, because look at what you did with 6th round. You assume that they can duplicate that, mm-hmm. right? So why take a high draft pick when you could use that pick on something uh, that might need more help? I mean, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that's probably sure. the argument well, out and there. I, and I think at the spot they were at, it was like, do you take a guy who's going to be your star player on your offense, your star running back, your best-selling jersey for the next five years, or do you take Jalen Carter and, you know, hopefully get a good, competent D lineman? I mean, I think the pick made sense if you're boom or bust, right, which I tend to lean toward with my Anthony Richardson love and – with All your that. extreme comments. I'm saying go for the boom. Yeah. And I think we did. And I mean, I think that maybe they'll have like a little Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram type vibe because Bijan, he's well, a lot better pass catcher. Im- lead athleticism. And then imitation Tyler, is the biggest form of flattery. Do they, uh, ball. Do they have a and pretty good. And then you also got Cordero Patterson, who used to be a wide receiver. Do they have a good offensive line? That's the key. I don't know. I'm asking you. Do they? Are they pretty well set? Above average. Oh, it's not like elite, elite like Philadelphia or Dallas when Zeke was running for like almost 2,000 yards a year. But I would say it's like right there in the top 10. I think the Falcons, they're going to they're gonna win 10 games this year. All right. Uh, that Falcons uh, segment brought to you by Triple G. When we come back, uh, you guys can jump in. 694-1055 will wrap up hour number two. Uh, Dan Jennings will kick off hour number three. That includes Orlando Alzagari. We've talked about a number of issues. His Alabama baseball story is very bizarre coming out of Ohio. Um, Cam Newton loves his caffeine. Now, uh, that report is out. Six espressos with a cigar, by the way. Uh, How many of you all have some sort of random, unique, maybe early morning ritual that you want to share? Remember, it's family-friendly radio. Stay with us right here on the Sports Station WNSP. executive director of the college football playoff and you are listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. Seven fifty-six. Welcome back in. Wrapping up hour number two. Short segment here. You guys can jump in. Six nine four one zero five five. Braves catcher Sean Murphy and the Braves needed every one of those runs he produced as they edged out the Mets nine eight. Mark, I know you didn't see the second game, but in the, in the first inning, Ronald Acuna, arguably one of the best players in baseball, took one right up around the the shoulder area, around the neck area, and was sent. 
to the dugout after getting hit by that pitch. So he's day-to-day for the Braves. They did lose the second game. When Dan Jennings comes on next, I want to kind of get his take on the first month of these new rules to see how what he's hearing are people in favor of them, uh, things that are going on, you know, with the uh, auto, you know, if you're not in the box in time, st- automatic strikes or balls and things like that. So we'll get to that later on. Something else I think you may enjoy is this uh, ritual in the dugout after hitting home runs. The Braves have been told to stop their ritual of putting this big helmet or uh, hat. Got helmet hat. Mm-hmm. But now the Nationals, that's Danny's team, they have one where they put a wig. Well, the hat, I think, uh, uh, I think it was one of the uh, manufacturers of maybe they have some sort of deal with another hat company or something. I was reading. Um, I think it's ridiculous. Let them wear the hat. Exactly. It's kind of like you know the Big baseball deal. version of the turnover chain or whatever it's it is. Not like everybody sees it. It's in the dugout. You know, obviously you can see it on TV cameras, zoom in on it. But other than that, it's not like they parade around the field in it. Yeah. So New Era, which is the official sponsor of MLB hats, told them stop using it. The commercialization of our our beloved sports, Lee. That's what happens. That's what happens. Yeah, and there's so little of that commercialization. I would go. I would do something. What would be a good alternative for Braves, for the Braves, just to kind of stick it to New Era, where you're where you're not wearing a hat, but you're kind of wearing a hat. Like, what would be a good a visor, a big visor? I don't know how you get that to stay on your head, but whatever. Kind of oh. like a hat, kind of not. A bean. Could you? Yeah. Could you basically take the big hat, but just cut the top of the hat off and just leave the bill and technically at that point it's a visor by definition right yeah <laughs> i've seen people cut the bill off of a uh, a fitted hat and just rock that what would that be a beanie no it's the hat like the fitted braves hat like imagine cutting right. the bill off the hat i have right. on right now right but then what would you call that i don't know <laughs> i don't know these are the hard-hitting questions we're gonna sabotage lee's interview with dan jennings with Yamaka, maybe. All right, so he's coming up next. Let's see what he has for us. It's the opening kickoff. Opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. Hey, it's 8.04. Welcome in. Hour number three, the opening kickoff. I got to say, so Kelly's news right there was talking about uh, a robbery at a local McDonald's where they asked for cash out of the register. Uh, It's such a... There's so little chance of getting away with something like that, but, like, the payout's not even that great anymore, right? Who carries cash with them anymore? What was that? If... if, Does anybody carry cash? Like, I I can't remember the last time I had a significant amount of cash on me. What do you consider significant? I don't know. Do you have Do you have twenty or more dollars in your pocket? Like, I can't. I I haven't seen twenty dollars. I have about twenty. I just just nobody uses cash anymore. Even if I have cash, I won't use it because I know I won't have it, 
or I won't get it again. I just I don't understand. I don't actually know where my wallet is at. <laughs> I was about to check. <laughs> um. So all right. So I was just something that just something that caught my attention. I just didn't know how many people. We'll get to some baseball here, but I'm just curious. Unofficial poll: How many of you carry more than twenty bucks in cash at at any one at any given time? And more importantly, how often do you use it? I'll never use it because I'm afraid I won't ever get it again. I don't know. Go ahead, Lee. I'm sorry. All right, let's talk to Dan Jennings, the uh, Washington Nationals assistant general manager. Good lead in there. Good morning, Danny. How are you today? Hey, Lee. Good morning. How are you? Good. I, hey, from Mark's point, I got to say, if you've got more than $20 in your wallet, there's probably a good chance you're not married. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't know how I could top that. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, leave that's it to the Danny. Thought to come to my mind. Yeah, that's, leave it to you, Danny. <laughs> like, well, you're on the road a lot. Do you care? I mean, you're in games every day. You're traveling all over the place. Uh, do you? Are you? Oh, wait a minute. You probably use the Washington Nationals credit card, right? Of course. Yeah. You know what? Most ballparks and stuff anymore, they uh, they're all cashless. Yeah. And uh, so you have to have the card, put the card down, and uh, that's just the nature of the beast and kind of the way things are. So it makes it easier for me to get expenses or receipts for expenses and that to use the card. All right, let me ask you this. You're at the ballpark. You know how the vendors come along. Some guy, hot dog, hot dog, and you, you hot dog, don't you still pay him in cash? You don't give him your credit card, do you? I don't eat at the ballpark. Come on, Lee. No, not you. No, not you. I'm talking about in general. If I was at, let's say, a Braves game, and they, they come around with the cotton candy or the Cokes or whatever, aren't I still paying in cash? No, I see these guys now. They all do the cards. They swipe them. They give the the uh, people receipts right there at the uh, right there at the seat. It's amazing how that uh, has modernized so much. Danny, it's uh, basically the first month of the season is wrapped up. What are you hearing about these new baseball rules, the uh, speed up the game, bigger bases, no shift in the infield? Uh, basically, what are you hearing, and, and how is baseball reacting to it? Lee, I have to tell you, I think it has accomplished exactly what uh, what its intentions were. Um, you know, the, the feedback from things I'm hearing has been positive. Uh, certainly the pace of play and the uh, time of the game has sped up in a good way. And um, you know, I don't hear a whole lot about the bases uh, being a little bigger. The thing I hear the most from players is you know, they love the fact that the shift has been banned. I think, you know, the hitters especially feel like it, you know, levels the playing field when they when they put a good contact or a good swing on the ball and barrel up something that it's got a chance to roll into the outfield versus uh, into the glove of someone playing short field. So that's really the thing that I hear the most about. Uh, I see stolen bases are definitely up, and, uh, and you see a lot of guys uh, attempting to run. And I think from a standpoint of creating uh, situational play, that has helped in a big way. Yeah, but the batting averages don't seem to have improved that much. I see a lot. I think the other day the Dodgers had six guys batting under 200 in their starting lineup. I mean, I checked the you know averages just to see if they're really coming up. I don't see that many that are. 
Yeah, I think it's up a little, but not not very significant. And the other part to that is I think it's kind of the era in which we're in in baseball is, you know, there used to be a pride factor in striking out. You just did not want to do it. It was an embarrassment. And now, you know, so the way these guys view it is just another out. And, and I mean, I'm seeing some good hitters hitting, you know, 200, 210, uh, but they're putting up crooked numbers with the power. And, you know, when you look at arbitration, you look at free agency, power gets paid. And I think because of that, uh, the strikeouts and putting it in play is uh, has kind of fallen by the wayside. And I think it's unfortunate because I do believe you can win games by making productive outs and doing some things that help you move runners over and score runs. Dan Jennings is our guest here on WNSP. I think baseball is hypocritical, Dan. I think why is it that they like big bases but they don't like big hats? <laughs> wow. How about that? You know, now it seems every team has a uh, in-dugout celebration after a home run, and then uh, New Era drops the bomb on the Braves and says, uh-uh, uh-uh, we're the sponsors. And, and I mean, hey, New Era pays a lot of money to put hats in every, yeah. you know, all up and down the minor leagues. I got it. I understand it. But, uh, you know, when it happens in your dugout, in your clubhouse, uh, that for me should kind of be off limits. And it's part of those guys creating that unity and that oneness that makes uh, good teams great. So what's the deal with your team now? I saw where Lane Thomas had a home run, I guess it was yesterday, and he's he, they go into the dugout and he's got this white wig on his head. What's the significance there? I guess Washington being, you know, where the Supreme Court justice and all the justices are. So now we have uh, we have the wig of justice for the guys that hit the home runs. And the good part of that is, and I know this by uh, living it, if you can create a culture or be part of creating a culture that creates fun, you have a chance to have that in, evolve into something that's really good. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of teams embrace that and do it. And uh, when that happens, if guys buy in, again, you got to have the buy-in from the players because that's what matters. The rest of it is irrelevant. And if they buy in and create the fun, they relax, they play better over the course of 162, and, and the results can be much better. You're very familiar with Max Scherzer. Of course, he once pitched for the Washington Nationals. He was supposed to come off that 10-game suspension and pitch this weekend, but because of the rain, uh, the rain that uh, occurred at uh, in New York, they had to, you know, they didn't get the games in. So he starts tonight, I think, but he couldn't pitch against the Braves because his 10-game suspension uh, was not over with. But I wanted to ask you: in was there this first time we've talked to you really since the incident? And when you when he pitched for Washington, did he have any issues with sticky fingers and and, and gloves and things like that? That like he had the other day with the umpire cousins. No, none of that. I, you know, the thing with uh, with Max is he's such a competitor. I mean, these guys are going to look for any advantage. And, you know, alcohol, I, I read something where they said the alcohol creates a uh, more stringent, sticky content when they use the rosin bag. And, uh, you know, these, these guys want to be able to grip the ball. So, number one, they command it and not hit somebody. Number two, so that it helps them create better spin and rotation on their secondary pitches. And uh, my, my only thought of it was is when he 
had had said he went in and washed his hands in front of the MLB personnel, then I didn't understand why you know the uh, umpires felt the need to uh, to eject him from the game if he truly did that in front of the personnel of MLB. All right, uh, Bryce Harper comes back. He, gosh, he's been out for a long, long time. What do you expect? He comes back as a DH off after, what, uh, Tommy John surgery, which is a kind of a unusual if you're not a pitcher. Yeah, he's the quickest recovery in the history of baseball of non-pitching players uh, that have recovered from Tommy John. 160 days, and uh, I, I just think that's remarkable. Knowing Bryce the way I do, I got to think that his rehab, number one, he's so physically powerful and strong. Uh, I saw where the, uh, the Phillies were flying pitchers in so he could have some simulated games, face live pitching, and uh, help him speed up his clock. So his competitive nature he it will not allow him to fail. Bryce Harper's going to hit the ground running. Uh, I fully expect that, and I expect him to produce and be a, a big piece of those guys going forward and create depth in that lineup that's going to be uh, as good as really any team in baseball. Danny, I, I'm not looking for you to pick on any individual, but do you have a problem with some of these major leaguers who have a beard that comes almost down to their waist? I, I, you know what, it, I find it a little bit, uh, a little crude, a little ugly. I, I don't know why, guys, hey, to each his own, you know, they got to do what they got to do. But, yeah, I got to, in summertime, you know it's hot. You know it's hard to keep that clean when all the sweat and all is going on. And uh, I can see it in the off season when guys go into the hunting mode and all that. But, man, in season, it just seems like a lot to, to manicure and keep clean. I, I personally would not be a fan of it. I'm referring to that center fielder for the Phillies. Uh, okay. So one other question. We talk about tanking, and a team that has been accused of tanking for years is the Pittsburgh Pirates. They have the best record in baseball. I don't remember you or me or Mark or anybody picking them to finish in a uh, playoff position. Is this for real with the Pirates? They have the best record in baseball now. I think it's uh, I think it definitely is a, a move in the right direction. What they're doing, their record looks great and all that. Uh, I was reminded by someone the other night at the ballpark that said, "Hey, do a little deep dive on this because uh, who they played, their overall record is not that great." So I haven't done that, but I'm, I know the person that did certainly had looked into that. And uh, we, we'll see now uh, how they fare when they begin to play, you know, some of these teams that have uh, records close to theirs and see if it is legit. But they have had some guys that have stepped up. They're swinging the bat well uh, in Reynolds, and uh, Keller has pitched great uh, at the beginning of this year. So they're moving in the right direction with a lot of good young talent that, uh, that's going to be around a while. Daniel, sir, always a pleasure. We appreciate the time. Uh, let's do it again soon. You got it. I have a great week, guys. Thank you. That's Dan Jennings, ladies and gentlemen. All right, uh, scoreboard traffic and weather, I would assume, are coming up next here on WNSP. You guys can jump in. Uh, also, let me tell you about Aiden Marks of Medicare Insurance Advisors. Man, if you're close to 65, you're still working, looking to retire in the 12 months, next 12 months, call him. Uh, 463-0031. It's never a fee for his services. He's not selling you Medicare. He's simply trying to inform you and let you make the best decisions on the type of health care that you need. He's local. He's knowledgeable. 
and he's got that physical location right here. You can go see him in Daphne on Highway 98 across from Terry Thompson Chevrolet. Maybe you need you have VA benefits. Maybe you're still drawing health benefits from your company. These are all things that he can help you deal with. Maybe you didn't get Medicare when you were supposed to because you didn't feel like you needed them. There's some hoops you need to jump through in order to uh, to get them now. Call him, 463-0031. That's Aiden Marks, Medicare Insurance Advisors. He can help you out with all your needs. We come back, take your phone call. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Vern Lundquist from CBS Sports. You're listening to WNST Mobile, Alabama. to have much of an impact here down the stretch. Here comes Murray, Jokic. He is pure basketball poetry. <laughs> I think some things he do is, I guess you could describe as poetic, but otherwise I just think he kind of, I, I don't know if it's real graceful all the time when you watch him running up and down the court, but I digress. Welcome back in. It's the opening kickoff. So we got into this conversation about cash. And some of you guys in the app kind of started chiming in. I don't use cash because it's just so much more convenient to use a card. So there was a report Kelly did in her newscast that somebody tried to rob a local McDonald's and, and was looking for cash in the register. And I'm just wondering how many people actually use cash anymore? Someone said poor people use cash more than those that aren't poor. But I think that's a, a relative term. I have cash now because I never use it because I'm afraid I'll never get it again. So I only I only keep it for emergencies. And Lee only uses cash when he gives $2 bills to his grandkids. That's very sweet, by the way. I actually uh, keep the cash just for tips when we go out to restaurants or remotes. I actually do that, too. I was at uh, I was actually at a restaurant on Friday. I went to Beepo Braids and saw Todd. But, I you yeah, you tip in cash so they don't have to claim it for taxes. Well, that, but I, I don't know the answer to this because uh, I, I actually will ask the waiter or waitress which benefits you better if I give you cash or if I put it on the credit card. And they oh, say well, a lot cash. of times they say it doesn't matter. But see, I don't know how they divvy up tips these days. Does it goes directly to the person or does it go in a pot and they divide it? I think it's Depends. restaurant specific. Yeah. You see, it's a catch twenty two form though because you maybe you're willing to tip more if you put it on a card. Because you don't have that much cash, which goes back to my original point. But if you tip in cash, then they don't have to claim it. But the taxes. other thing, too, more importantly, like say when we do remotes and let's say we have pizza delivering, I want to make I'm the one that tips the person. So that's why I have cash. Ah. I wouldn't know. You never get us pizza at our, at our remotes that I'm with you on. Oh, not at six in the morning. You, man's got to eat this pizza. Breakfast pizza. Yeah. Throw a little sausage, a little bacon, some egg, whatever. I'll tell you what, in the fall, remind me, and maybe we'll make something happen. How about I remind you now, we do something this Friday for our, why not go out with a bang in our Dr. Chris Ronak's championship drive? You know, Lee, with like all the new food delivery services, you could order Mark something from any breakfast venue or well, location. Well, let's back up a little driver. bit. It, <laughs> I wouldn't say most of the ones we've been at, but at some of them, they have been bringing breakfast. Just, Nick just looking for looking for places that tip, so he uh, so Lee can use all that cash he's got. But we have been very fortunate. We've been to, uh, I would say, about what half the places we've been to. They've brought out breakfast for us. So I still got to find my wallet. 
<laughs> Good luck. So here's the other thing. I don't I don't generally put my cash in my wallet though. I put it in my pocket, my front pocket. Because you're a trifold man. I do. My wallet is a trifold, and I don't like the way what it does to to cash. So I you fold it over. Three creases in the cash. Right? No, no. It's just it's goofy. It helps it stand up on its side better when See, you I take it like out. I feel like the bifold, it holds the cash better. What what? How many folds you got in your wallet over there, Lee? He's digging into his back pocket. I don't know. What, I don't have my wallet. Let's see. Here it is. <laughs> it's a regular wallet. What? Oh, it's a buy. It's a buy fold. Buy. That's yeah. A, you got two buy and a try. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all that cash I have. Two buy Look at guys him. and Look. a try. Look at that. He's got cash. How much cash you got in your wallet right there? Uh, it's I think eleven dollars. You have like. eleven. That's to my point. Eleven. Um. I have nine dollars. <laughs> yeah, so the, between the two of us, <laughs> I don't like to carry a lot of cash anymore because I'm like Nick. I have a, a tendency to misplace my wallet. Well, if I misplace my wallet, the cash is the least of my concerns. Can I what's hold your, that twenty bucks? What's your guy? main concern? The credit cards? My credit cards, my driver's license. Yeah, but you can always call up, which I've done. You call up the, that, that day and. Uh, Tell them that you lose the credit card, so that's not a problem. Still a whole hassle. Yeah, and then you got to get it. I mean, you got to get one. At that point, rather pay twenty bucks to not have to exactly. go through all those calls. And exactly. Everything. So if you're looking for a quick score, be looking for Shervania today. He's got a whole whopping eleven dollars in his wallet. I'm gonna need a police guard going out to my car. Meanwhile, m- waiters, waiters everywhere are like, boy, I hope Lee comes to lunch at our place. It's gonna happen later this so week. I can get a drink out the machine. <laughs> Place pity on Triple G. Hello? You Hello. can have a dollar. That was a serious question. <laughs> Big O's next. Stay with us. What's your favorite ever? My favorite TV theme song? Yes. Uh, I don't know if we have time to get into that. Yeah, well, maybe um, after we talk to Big O. All right. That sounds think like a whole that sounds like a it. whole show, though. Just, just think about it. All right. I'll give it some thought. He's working on getting uh, Orlando Alzagari as we speak One here. One of my on really good friends down there in Miami, Orlando Alzagari, the Big O radio show, podcast, uh, radio show. He's done doing it all. And there are big things going on down there in Miami, and that's what we're going to talk about with uh, Big O. Good morning, sir. How are you today? Exceptional. Can't complain. Getting ready for the show in about a half hour. What do you got on it today? Oh, we'll have Cameron Wolf uh, from the NFL Network. He's one of our insiders, so we'll talk about Dolphins and NFL. Manny Navarro, who covers the Canes, will be on with us. We'll also... uh, preview the Panthers and the Miami Heat, and uh, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll go around some other things going on in the world. Who knows? Maybe we'll talk a little Aerosmith, a little Bitcoin. You never know. We talk all kinds of things on the show, but of course, it all revolves around sports. All right, so let me ask you this. What was the biggest, uh, I guess, say upset? The Miami Heat knocking off the number one seed, Milwaukee Bucks, and being the first team to come through a playing game to do it. Or the Florida Panthers knocking off the Boston Bruins, the team with the best record ever in the National Hockey League. Which was deemed bigger? Well, 
see, the problem is that, you know, we're, when we talk about hockey, there's only a certain group of the country that's actually following the sport. And then there's a lot of people that don't care about hockey. So for the average person, they're going to look at the heat. But if you're a smart sports fan, you'll say the Panthers because Boston did not have, they weren't missing their top star. Milwaukee was missing Giannis in the first two games. And to the Heat's credit, they took advantage of that. And then when Giannis came back, they beat him twice. So, you know, to their credit, they, they won anyway. But they the door was open with Giannis being injured in the first two games. And obviously he wasn't going to come back, you know, be, be himself. So they were able to take advantage of that. Boston wasn't missing that kind of firepower. Uh, and so the Panthers beating the, the, the Bruins, who had the best record ever in hockey, uh, I think I'm going to give the Panthers the slight edge over the Miami Heat. I would do the same thing because of that. But I got to ask you about the Heat. So they go to MSG and win on su- Sunday. Then they get, mm-hmm. you know, obviously Jimmy Butler rolled up ankle and all that. First of all, do you know anything? Is he I'm, is he going to play tonight? This is the Miami Heat, okay? Nobody breaks any news on the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat. Uh, allow you to break the news when they want to give you the news. So they are the most shut down team that there is in all of pro sports. Notice how you don't even get Woj or anybody else to drop any Woj bombs about the Heat until the Heat say so. Uh, so nobody knows anything. We're all guessing. Do they hold them out for game three since they already you know, took away home court advantage? Nobody knows what's going to happen. Jimmy's a tough SOB, so nobody puts it past him that he'll just tape that thing up and play right through it. You know, it's it's really interesting. Although they have held him out this year, and they've kind of paced him at times, so I would not be surprised. For This is very unheat-like, probably unbutler-like. I wouldn't be surprised if they do rest him today. And uh, and the guys go out there and try to do their best and see what see what happens. I mean, look what happened yesterday with the Sixers. Embiid didn't play, and Harden had one hell of a night, and they ended up surprising the Celtics. So you never know. Miami's already got home court now, you know, against the Knicks. So you've already done your job. You could hold Jimmy out today, and uh, and and move on. But we'll see. It's 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 an interesting dynamic. It makes sense to hold them out, and you can also understand why Jimmy Butler would play because that's kind of who he is. Where because of that I'm curious where where do Heat fans put Butler in the conversation of just most uh popular Heat player of all time who's endeared himself to the community to to the fan base. He, he he's got to oh, be no, in the conversation, right? Come close to Wade or, or even Udonis Haslam or Really? No, it's not. Yeah, no. I mean, Udonis Haslam's from Miami High, and he, you know, he's a Miami guy, and he ends up, you know, going to, you know, uh, the Heat and and plays his entire career. And then this is Wade County, and he's got three championships. So uh, uh, there's lots of love for Butler in town. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, he still hasn't won anything. You know what I mean? And so, and it's not his fault, by the way. Yeah, uh, it's it's Pat Riley's fault. They have m- failed miserably. Well, actually, it's also Butler's fault because he brought his best friend and the godfather of his child, 
Kyle Lowry here, and Kyle Lowry has been an absolute disaster of a signing. They're paying him, you know, nearly $90 million for three years, and he's a shell of what he used to be. I know he had a nice night the other night, and that was good, but uh, he has been a terrible signing for the Miami Heat, and that took away the star that they needed to put right next to Butler, and that's the reason why. So it's really not Butler's fault. He plays his heart off. He leaves it all on the court. But there just isn't another star next to him to really elevate this team. And that's really the problem right now for the Miami Heat. Talking to Orlando Alzagari, the Big O Show, uh, based in Miami. As he said, he's going to start up in just a few minutes. Hey, a, a guy that gets very little credit, at least around the nation, I, I maybe not so much in, in Miami, you know, when you think of Miami, you think of Pat Riley. What do you think of Spolster as a coach? I, I think he started as a video coordinator or something. And when he took yeah. over, everybody said, oh, well, he's got Wade, he's got James, he's got uh, Bosch. But he's still coaching. It's been years now, and he seems to get the job done. He's one of the best coaches in the history of basketball, period. End of story. And he's challenging Pat Riley for being the best coach in the history of the Miami Heat. Um, this guy works with any roster you give him. He maximizes every roster you give him. You gave him one year where he had Whiteside and Deion Waiters and James Johnson, and he went 31-10 and 10 in the second half of the season and got to 41-41, and 41, almost made the playoffs, beat the, beat the Warriors a couple times with nobodies. And so this is a guy that has proven himself over and over and over again. When he was an assistant coach, he's the one that helped Wade uh, improve his mid-range jumper. Um, Spoh's the guy that made, uh, you know, Bosch a three-point shooter. He's the one that told LeBron, I need you to play with your back in the post to make us better. Um, he he improves anything and everything that you give him. Uh, you go look at the record year in and year out, and and Spo just gets the max out of every every roster that they give him. In fact, I've been very critical here of Riley and Mickey Harrison. Uh, I think ownership has gone a little a little on the budget side. They've cut some corners, uh, and I think Riley has failed in in trying to get that other star for Spo. Uh, but Spo over the last, you know, since since the big three, he's made them look better than what they really are. And he constantly does it. They were a shot away from the NBA Finals last year. Look at look at where, what they're doing now. Uh, I could just go over and over and all the examples, the blood clot years with uh, Chris Bosh. He had to change the offense like three times in one season, uh, running different kinds of offenses. He is by far the best coach in the NBA, okay? By far the best coach in the NBA. I don't care about Popovich. This guy does better without the players, without the superstars. You know, look at Popovich. He's kind of gone by the wayside. You know, it's this guy, I know it's going to freak people out what I'm saying, but that's because he goes under the radar and he doesn't have the big name. But if you really look at his resume, it is absolutely impeccable. And he has done a marvelous job here. He's a surefire Hall of Famer. And for me, he's the best coach in the league. Give us your take on this series. Uh, how many games and who wins, Knicks and Heat? Um, I think the Heat have a shot. Depends on how, you know, the, the whole Butler's thing. Look, man, the Knicks are, you know, they're they're a novelty. They're a nice little team that made the playoffs. I mean, it's it's nice, but it's the New York market. It gets blown out of proportion. 
It's not really a franchise that has accomplished anything whatsoever. This isn't a rivalry either. I love that, that they just force-feed people. Not one Heat player, not one Knicks player is part of any kind of rivalry with Heat-Knicks. And in order to have a rivalry, by the way, the other team has to win. The Knicks have meant nothing for 20 years. They have been the dregs of the NBA, okay? They are nothing until they start winning series and actually going to the playoffs consistently and beating the Heat consistently. Then we can call it a rivalry. I love how we force-feed this crap out there to the public, and the public, you know, a lot of times the public is stupid enough to believe a lot of this crap, but there is no rivalry. The Knicks are still having to earn their keep. The Heat organization is a hundred times superior to the Knicks. The Knicks is a, 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 a group of individuals that now have made the playoffs two years in a row. Let's see if they start actually winning and creating something and building on something and those kind of things. But overall, the Heat's got the better organization, the better head coach, the better front office, the better culture, all of that. Uh, I would probably give the Heat the edge if they're healthy enough. They probably should be able to win. But, I mean, this is the chance for the Knicks to start to build something if they're ever going to be something again because they really haven't been anything since the Patrick Ewing days. Ask. So, you know, it's just I, I love how they just manufacture all this stuff because it comes out of NYC. Got to ask you, though, what we mentioned about the Florida uh, Panthers. Have you ever attended a hockey game there? A hundred thousand times. I okay. used to be on the beat. Okay. You know, I, I was I was on the beat for the last Stanley Cup run. Remember, I'm old. I've been around. All right. I just was curious. Uh, anyway, uh We'll talk to you soon, all right? And good luck to the Heat, and I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Big O. Anytime, guys. Be good out there. Enjoy have a good Hey, have a good talk show to coming up, too. Bye-bye now. Thank you. All right, uh, one final segment of the day. You guys can jump in. Um, we've, we've covered a lot of things. This Alabama baseball gambling story, uh, the NBA, um, cash, as opposed to cashless venues, what type of wallets, how much cash do you have in your wallet? Caffeine. Caffeine, yeah, the, the amount of caffeine. You can get to it all, man. Get to it all coming up in our final segment. We'll also share a little bit about what's coming up on tomorrow's show. Nick gave a guarantee. It's been an eventful show right here on the Sports Station. One final segment. Stay with us. This is Charles Farley from the University of Alabama. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. World Time. You know, with this song, I've realized that Lee, you know, Lee gets kind of put in this, like, we've pegged him as like this, newscaster, play-by-play guy, but I think he's more DJ than anything. Do you realize, I think he specifically called for like three songs today. That That's that's his. I only remember two. Well, this one. And Miami Vice. Right, and you got to play your L.A. Law stuff oh, with that's David right. Green. So, yeah, so Chick-fil-A. Oh, Chick-fil-A, that's four. No, that, Nick gets credit for that. I had no idea about that guy. 
<laughs> That's now, Nick. But now, since you've heard it, you got to hear it every day, though, right? Right. No, you're the one who told me we need to play it to get people interested in calling. Yeah, I think we have trained people that that's right. the theme. So that's not, that, I'll give credit to Nick on that one. All okay. right, thank you. <laughs> I mean, who would have come up with that? Nick. Right. I what didn't know anything. What about L to the EE? Yeah, what about your rap song? Has that made the uh, chart yet? Mm. Where's it sitting? 200, 250, 300? Yeah, so, somewhere around there. I so uh, have you gotten a lot of response from that song, Lee? None. None? None of your friends have heard it? Not yet. Or if they have, they haven't said anything about it. Oh. They're jealous. They're keeping quiet about it. Yeah. They're waiting for their own version to come out. Okay. Well, I told them a few years. It'll be on records. Records. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, are you a uh, a Big Mac guy? A Big Mac guy? As far as hamburgers? Would you say computers or hamburgers? Hamburgers? Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant when I said, "Are you a Big Mac?" Not guy? big. I, I, I know you got that iPhone now, but I love I love a Big Mac. I haven't had a Big Mac in years, but I love me a Big I'd Mac. I'd be more probably be too much for me. I small bites, Little Mac. Yeah, Little, little Mac, Little Mac, Whoa. Little Mac. So now they've got the limited edition, the Big Mac sauce. Yeah, that you can get in the dipping cup. You can dip your nuggets and your fries in there. Or whatever else you yeah, <laughs> what, yeah. you feel compelled yeah. to do. Yeah. Now, the worst kept secret in the world, the Big Mac sauce, basically Thousand Island dressing. But whatever, it's still delicious. So what's mm. your uh, getting off track? Because remember I said your favorite TV theme. I, I, I still don't understand. Still can't? No, I just don't understand why you'd take a, 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 a topic as um, – passionate as TV themes and try to condense it into one five-minute segment. That's like a three-hour show right well, there. I'm just asking your favorite. It takes two seconds. Your favorite. <sighs> There's a lot of deliberation that comes with that. That really is. It might not be no. a clear-cut number one. You see, I, I here's the thing. I think your TV theme songs, in order to be on that um, on that list, have to have to meet certain criteria. You either like them or you don't. No, because I think sometimes TV That's shows will use popular songs— uh, as their theme song, and I think that's kind of cheating. On the other hand, there are not some po some songs that weren't popular until they were uh, they were used as TV show songs, and there are those that were created specifically for those TV shows. Lee, you have a favorite TV theme? Absolutely. When I ask the question, like Mark, when you ask me my favorite, I don't go into a fifteen minute deal about it. It's Sometimes. just who is your favorite? That's why I said it's it's not exactly Bonanza. A, Bonanza was right, my Lee, favorite. What's your favorite. I said Bonanza was my favorite, Bonanza. and the least favorite was the Brady Bunch. How does the Bonanza theme song even go? I don't even know. Look it up. Well, if it's your favorite, you can't hum me a little. No, tune. I don't do that. I'm not a good hummer. <laughs> I can't sing, and I'm not a good hummer. You can, you, you'll find it. Does it have lyrics? Or is no. it like You see, here's the other thing. Show, no right? lyrics. See, I think generally a good TV theme. The Jefferson. Has to, yes, has to have lyrics, but there are exceptions to that rule. See, like in the 80s, like in the 80s and early 90s, there were legit songs that were themes, TV themes. Right. Nah, I see. I disagree well, see, now with you. With Netflix and the skip intro button, we don't really do themes. That's songs a great anymore. point. That's a great point. Wait, you disagree? What you you think? 
good themes. I said they're exceptions. Be, no, they could be either or. Like when we play Star Wars, you get excited about that. There's no lyrics. Not a TV theme. I know, but I'm using that as an example, a movie theme. We're talking about TV themes. Doesn't matter to me. It's a theme's a theme. Oh, look, you like know, you're entitled you to your opinion. You're, the you are. Team, they were just music, right? Yeah, but they had that really cool intro. <laughs> so if you like, need them and oh, you can find yeah, okay, them, yeah, maybe yeah. you're willing to find the you know, under, underrated TV theme, the Magic School Bus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would argue that's more of a jingle. Okay, so I would disagree <laughs> with that. You know what? I apologize to our audience. To the show. I'm sorry I even brought this up. This is what's called talk radio, Lee. I mean, how much fun you would You still it haven't answered the question. How, but how much that fun would true. it be if I said, uh, um, Nick, what's your favorite food? Hamburger. Okay, great. Let's move on. That's not fun. You got to find out why. Exactly. You'd have to at least put cheese on it. <laughs> See? It would need to be from five guys. Too. Right. And is it a big bun? And what's the proportion of bun to meat and vice versa? Same with condiments. Sometimes there are burgers where the meat is so big you need condiments just to offset it. But sometimes the meat is as – I hate to use the word meat and big in the same sentence. But it's like the same no ratio to condiments. You, said it. <laughs> you know what I hate? You go to a barbecue and they're making hamburgers. Those – the way that they make those patties, whoever's on the grill, I yeah. feel like they always shrink to way smaller than what the bun uh, radius is. Yeah, you see, I have the opposite problem, though. I hate when the they pack— too big for the bun. <laughs> yeah. I hate when, when you put them on—somebody puts them on the grill, and um, they're, they're small, but they're, like, really high, for lack of a better term. Like, they're packed thick. Yeah, I don't like that. So basically, they're charred on the out and they're raw on the inside. Here's a hot I take: I think meat tastes better when you cook it in a pan than when you do on a grill. Ooh, that is a hot take. Because when it's on the pan, all the juices and everything they're staying in that pan and it's cooking in it. In a grill, it's just falling through the grates, and then right? the, it's all smoky, and then your your meat starts smelling like charcoal if you're a charcoal guy. Like if you're cooking a steak, do it on a, in a pan. Mm, I don't know. You put the butter and everything on there, the garlic, everything. Baste it. See, we're getting some great cheers. Saved by the Bell. Saved by the Bell is a good one. Uh, Dukes of Hazard, one of the best ones ever. Dukes of Hazard was a great theme song. That one's like a spoken word, right? I suppose. Um, Hawaii Five-0, the original one. You familiar with that one? I like, am. Good, what good. about bosom buddies? I don't even know what that I one. I think was. you just wanted to say bosom buddies. I don't even no, know what that is. Tom Hanks back in the day. What to say? I don't know what the song that's is. That's a Billy Joel song, uh, though. Life. That's what I'm saying. Though that's one of the ones that does that count because that's a Billy Joel song. But did he make it for the bosom buddies specifically? I don't think so. I mean, I don't know for a fact. But I don't. When I hear that song, I don't think, "Oh, Tom Hanks, Bosom Buddies." I think, "Hey, that's a Billy Joel song." Oh, that's what I think. I don't care what you say. It's a good tune, right? <laughs> hmm. Uh, someone said I quit grilling hamburgers. Only smoke them now. Smoke them. Interesting. Well, smoke them if you got them. You know, one time. But do you put dipping sauce goes on through it. this in their twenties? You get into like a smoked meats kick. And you're like, oh, I'm going to smoke some meats, or I'm going to be like a big meat guy. <laughs> I think right now Bronner's going through that phase. 
Did you hear our imitation of the afternoon show? No. When we were out at uh, walk-ons? No. Did you want to do that real quick or like close out the show like we're Michael and Corey and we have Leon as a guest? All right. Do you want to be can, you want me to be Corey this time and you be Michael? Um, I'll let you be Michael. I'll be Corey. Okay. I think I'm starting to really get it down. Okay. I think I'll probably do a better Corey than you, but that's okay. You go ahead. I don't think so. I think so. All right. All right. All right. <clears throat> Welcome back to the final drive. I'm your host, Corey Lebowney, and I'm going to give my guy over here, Michael, an opportunity to speak about our guest, Lee Shervanian, from a sports hosting standpoint. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 I, I don't know. It's just, you know, when, this, I guess, when, when I was growing up and, you know, I wanted to do this for a living, yeah, yeah, I, I used to look to Lee because, you know, he's the he's the GOAT. You know, like Belichick and we talk about the Patriots, you know, they they, they got a deep roster and well we'll get to all that in a second, but let's let's bring in this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lee, what, what do you think? I, I mean, I don't know. You you tell me. We'll see. I wouldn't trade up to get a field goal kicker. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Thank you, Corey, for having me on the show. I feel what like mine's think? a caricature. Was, was that pretty good? That's not bad. I was right, first time I've heard that, but it's not bad. Mark, since you're coming, let's flip now. Oh. Do we have time to flip? Yeah. We're, we'll close out the show. <laughs> well, you know, when you talk about the end of a show, you got to look at my guy, Michael Bronner, over there. I could say... When you talk about the GOAT Nick Saban and the Alabama football program, you always got to talk about the guys that help. And my guy Bronner over there, that's how he sees it. Well, what? I mean, uh, it, it, it is what it is. I mean, the show is ending. We got about 30 seconds left in this music. And uh, 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 I mean, uh, I, I, I can see where you're coming from. You are absolutely right, Bronner. <laughs> Blessed by the best. Thank you guys for being a part of the final drive. That's what happens when you have too much caffeine. So true, brother. We're back. What do you got tomorrow? I don't even know. Good. I can't See you. that.